Morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a Black Arts and Cultural Program of the African Sisters Media Network, and that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity Ashu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices and we are never victims. And so we should definitely pause and take stock of our situation and realize that we we do have agency and. What a great opening for a wonderful conversation this morning with um, Graham uh, Listick, who is the artistic director of the Oakland Ballet Company, and uh, Ponika Jones, who is returning uh, to the Oakland Ballet as, to portray Maria in um, Graham Lestig's The Nutcracker with the Oakland Symphony, uh, December 21st through 22nd. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> How are you? Very good, very good. Likewise. Yeah, Graham, it's good to, good to speak to you. I, You know, I don't think I've ever seen your Nutcracker yet. Like, oh, my goodness. So this oh, my year, gosh. But we're gonna I, ha- one I, day we're going to have to change that. <laughs> yes, we do, we do, because it's so special. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I can't think of any other other ballet company that has an artistic director that has such a unique nutcracker that it, it has its name in it. Like, really? Like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think yeah. the main reason is to come and see this is uh, to come and see this beautiful cast. Um, who, uh, including Ponika, of course, who's doing a fantastic mm-hmm. job, her first time learning this role mm-hmm. with, in my production, although she danced mm-hmm. previously with the Oakland Ballet um, in Ronguidi, mm-hmm. the founder director's production, many years ago. And oh, it's been really? an absolute joy, absolutely, absolute yeah. joy to have Ponika in the studio, and each day I'm watching her artistry grow as she understands the story and tells the story in her own way. And it's mm-hmm. a real pleasure. Okay. Nice, Thank you. Nice. Yeah. So, Panika, mm-hmm. um, you were born and raised in Miami, Florida, and you're an alumna yeah. of the New World School of the Arts. And after graduating, uh, you danced with the Oakland Ballet, as the Graham just mentioned, um, from 2005 to 2007. And then you moved on mm-hmm. to the Dance Theater of Harlem, like, like, oh, my goodness, really? <laughs> um <clears throat> 
<laughs> where you ascended through the ranks from a member of the professional training program to a principal dancer. And from there, you worked in various ballet, contemporary, and dance theater companies, both nationally and internationally. And during your ever-expanding career, you uh, developed a love for ballet and dance instruction, yoga. And how do you pronounce this uh, form of yoga, if this is a form of yoga, gyrokinesis? Is that how you say it? Gyrokinesis, is that how you say Kinesis. Kinesis, thank you. Um, and is that a form of yoga or is that something totally different? Hello? I'm I'm not hearing you. Panika? Are you there? Uh oh. Graham, do you hear her? I, I don't hear her at all anymore. She was there a moment ago. Oh. I wonder hmm. if she got the, if the call got dropped a moment. Oh yeah, it's, it's I see I see her in the studio, but I don't. Oh yeah, it did drop. We just did, it was a little. Okay, well she'll call back. Um, gy- um gyrokinesis. Wonder gyrokinesis yes. is similar to Pilates. Uh, you use oh. machinery that gives you a kind of um, uh, and rather than like you know, if you were doing uh, all, uh, many of the machines that you use at the gym, you kind of push or you pull in one line. Mm-hmm. The, the, the 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 big difference with the gyrokinesis is that it's circular. So oh. it means that you, in in the in the motion that you make whilst you're stretching and strengthening, you're making circles with your arms, with your shoulders, with your wrists with your legs and so it's mm-hmm. it's much more sort of integrated into a way of moving and you train your body to feel strong and coordinated whilst you make these circles uh, it, in essence that's i you know uh, i i've done a couple of those classes and they're they're really challenging mm-hmm. but they're really good for your core and really good for mm-hmm. your coordination oh sounds great i'll have to check that out yeah and um and in her bio, she writes that she plans to further her studies in these areas and continue blooming artistically, which includes cultivating her own dance and performance arts company. I'm like, whoa, that's nice. <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah, so we will, hopefully she will call us back soon. Um, and uh, in the meantime, I was going to, I could um, read your bio. Oh, no. And uh, I was wondering... <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's we like you know, you've we been doing this morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there she is! Oh, super! It's back again. Mm, yeah, almost. Oh, great! Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, cool, cool. So while while you were away, um, Graham uh, explained to our audience and to myself. Well, to me, maybe my audience already knows what uh, gyro uh, kinesis is, but he explained it to us, um, and um, so so I'm I'm kind of cool. But if you want to add anything to the uh, the part of your your um, 
your career ambitions about cultivating your own dance performance arts company um, and, mm-hmm. and where that's going to be. Are you coming back to Oakland? Is it going to be in Florida? Is it going to be in New um, York? Well, I'm kind of in a, a toss-up. I'm considering relocating to the Bay Area. Um, but I do believe that I'll always have a very strong connection in New York City and Florida. So I just kind of mm-hmm. go with what feels best um, and where I should be. Um, as far as location, and um, that's pretty much what I plan on doing. But I definitely would like to tighten connections here and, and make some type of base here in the Bay Area. Haven't done that in a few years, and kind of uh, interested in doing that now. Okay, nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Graham, um, you um, you joined the Oakland Ballet as artistic director in 2010. So you get ready to have your 10-year anniversary next year, right? You are absolutely right. Wow. Mm. Did those years fly or what? I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, congratulations. Wow, that's really awesome. And um, (laughs) (laughs) and, and, and since you've... uh, and since you've uh, you joined the company um, as uh, its fearless leader, um, you have revitalized the Oakland Ballet Company and helped the organization reclaim its position as a leading San Francisco Bay Area arts institution and a first-rate dance company. And under your stewardship, you brought the company a long-term vision and reputation for nurturing company, community-based programming, deep audience engagement, and organizational stability. And for eight seasons, uh, you presented your critically acclaimed production of The Nutcracker at the Oakland Paramount Theater. And again, um, it's going to be mounted next week, um, the uh, 21st and 22nd, with two shows each day. Um, a three, is it a, a one and a, yeah, one and a five. Get a little break in between and then right back up. <laughs> you all are going to be really busy. Next weekend, right. and um, yeah, mm-hmm. and you've also um, uh, presented, uh, started presenting the annual spring season, um, rooted in a contemporary works, including jazz vistas, which was which really awesome. I saw that, seen and heard in 2018, a Midsummer Night's Dream, 2017, Acapella, Our Bodies Sing, 2016. You have some really great titles. The 50th Anniversary Program, Five uh, Decades of Dance in 2015, which won an Izzy Award, Oaklandesque, 2014, and I don't know how to pronounce the one with imagery. How do you say that? Um, I, I can't. Oh, Diagolef. Uh, D-I-A. Hmm? Hmm? Yeah, Diagolef imagery, yeah. Diagolef imagery, 2013, and forwards with an exclamation point, 2011, Luna Mexicana, um, your dance celebration of the Day of the Dead. That's really awesome. I saw that. Made this open premiere in 2016. It's become a fall tradition, but I missed it this fall because I forgot to open my emails. Um, oh, uh, Jangala, <laughs> inspired by Kipling's The Jungle Book. That was really awesome. And South Indian um, uh, Bharat Tanayam. Dance. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> and it had its West Coast premiere in 2018. 
and uh, and under your watch and in collaboration with several East Bay school districts, including Oakland, Castro Valley, Dublin, Hayward, Livermore, New Haven in New Union City, Pleasanton, and San Leandro Unified School Districts, Oakland Ballet has expanded its educational outreach program, Discover Dance, to provide educational arts programs to more than 24 area schools annually. And, um, and there's probably more that I could say, but people just, you know, go to, you know, come see the Oakland Ballet's um, uh, Graham Lustig's, Lustig's The Nutcracker, and you can read more and see a picture, too. So, Graham, tell us about your Nutcracker. Like, tell us about this story and, and how you got uh, Panika Jones to come back as Maria. Well, um, I think that uh, everybody knows the Nutcracker, and I think that uh, my main inspiration point was the viewpoint of this young girl who has a dream. She's a remarkable young girl. She has a remarkably unusual dream. She is given a gift by her favorite uncle of a decorated nutcracker. The nutcracker looks like a toy soldier. And when she falls asleep, she has a sort of a a dream in which there are rats and soldiers and and the, the rat king is trying to take the life from her precious nutcracker. And so she steps into the fight and she actually, she dispatches with the rat king. She takes a big knife and sort of, you know, draws it across his stomach. And um, so she's willing to, she's prepared to really fight for her love. And um, there's a time in our history when, uh, of course, the, the nutcracker is often set in what I would say like the 1850s or the 1860s, when women were wearing corsets, large hoop skirts and bonnets in that very traditional sort of what in England we call the Victorian era. But I wanted to set it a little bit later in a period where women were not wearing corsets, where the gowns were free-flowing, women were riding bicycles, but more importantly, women were fighting for women's suffrage, fighting for the vote. And I thought this was a, sort of the Edwardian period, sort of 19. 1914. This was a time, it was the birth of modernism at the beginning of the 20th century. Suddenly you had rooms that were white furniture. They painted wooden furniture white. So it was kind of open and clean. And it was a time for new thoughts and new ideas to come forward. And one of those was women getting the vote. So I thought this was a good time in which a story, in which a young heroine takes charge of her destiny. Of course, it's wrapped up into a beautiful dance uh, evening with Michael Morgan and the Oakland Symphony. And we are one of the few companies in the country, I believe, to actually also have a choir. Tchaikovsky wrote a children's chorus into the snow scene, which ends act one. And every time I heard the voices on the recording, I thought, well, I wanted to see children. And it's not, it's pretty Uh, unusual in a snow scene which is usually full of beautiful big dancing by the older dancers I have my beautiful snow maidens but I also have uh, eight dancing snowballs who um, bring an area of whimsy and fun and sort of Busby Berkeley style um, groupings to the whole uh, to the whole (laughs) staging and so when you hear children you see children and I think that these are some of the more unusual elements. The designs are by Zach Brown and the choir is the East Bay Piedmont Children's Choir and actually 
you have the grand lobby in the Paramount, and half an hour before the beginning of every performance, they stand on the grand staircase behind the 40-foot Christmas tree, and they sing seasonal music <laughs> to the audience as they come in. And I just think to come into the, the, the gorgeous Paramount Theatre and then to be serenaded by these young voices, um, it's really just, you know, it puts you in the right mood for, for the season, you know? So we have fantastic mm-hmm. dancers uh, this year. Uh, Ponika is doing, a, as I said, a brilliant job interpreting Marie. And we have some dancers who have been with the company for eight years coming back to do a variety of different roles. And we have some new dancers as well who are here in their first season. So it's a, uh, we have 50 local students, some of whom are coming back for their 10th year. They're, they started when they were eight years old, and each year they've come back. And now they're 18 and this is their final year because they're going to leave and leave the area and go to college. So there's a lot of, uh, we have this sort of annual family, if you like. We get together for these five, six weeks and we become the Nutcracker family. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow, how cool. So, um, wow, a 40-foot Christmas tree. That sounds In the lobby pretty the awesome. Panel. Yes, it is. It's <laughs> incredible. Yeah. And you have the Sweet Dreams um, party. Is this all a part of the same Sweet Dreams, or is this an addition to that? Well, uh, an audience member who would like to meet the cast after the performance can purchase an an extra ticket uh, on top of their seat, and um, they can go to the mezzanine lobby where they will meet all the cast members and their cookies and lemonade, for the children and maybe something a little stronger for the adults and uh, <laughs> have a very nice, have a little, have a little moment to meet, get their program signed, get photographs with the cast members and just, just feel the glow, the afterglow of the performance, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, um, Panika, uh, tell us about, mm-hmm. um, you know, this, this role that you're portraying, um, uh, seems like it's 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 got like uh some multiple layers insofar as um you know it's uh it's your first time in this role uh as Marie but you're also the first woman of color to dance the part in the 55 year um trying to find the rest of this is it the 55 year um I guess program um at you know at Oakland Ballet if I'm not. I'm not seeing the rest of this this sentence. Um, no, and in actuality, um, due to the amount of period, the period, the amount of time that has passed. Um, mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I'd like to say it's an honor to dance this role, Marie. Um, it has been uh, a very uh, sought after role for many ballerinas, and uh, also many aspiring ballerinas. So. Professional dancers can do um, the Marie character as well as the the, stu- the students, the school. It depends on the choreographer. depends on the vision. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, in actuality, is not my first time doing Marie, but it has been a, quite a oh. while since I've done this role. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, there have been there has been another woman, but it was some years ago, and I'm not quite sure if any people knew that that happened, but there was another Marie, and she performed it when I was doing Sugar Plum Fairy um, mm-hmm. years ago. So, you know, it may have gotten misplaced 
um, or I don't know. Sometimes things happen like that. When things happen, some people saw it, some people did not see it, but in actuality, things do happen. And we are in the present day, and it's ha- I'm very honored to be a part of this uh, experience in 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you're Marie. Um, uh, yeah. You know, we if we look at uh, you know women and girls in 2019, you know we're entering to 2020. Um, uh, you know, there, you know, women and girls, um, you know, their voices, you know, have a little bit more. Um, uh, they they travel a little further now, um, and their presence right. is, is a little, you know, a little uh, more pronounced. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So talk to us about about your Marie and how you sort of bring some of this contemporary uh, um, attitude to to the character. Well, I'm enjoying the process of um, of of balancing in a very beautiful artistic way my 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 interpretation of Marie and her vulnerability and her strength. And I believe that as a woman having the ability to balance and harness those, those amazing quali- qualities and abilities is something that's very important in life. So um, my process with exploring vulnerability and strength within this um, character exploration and technically has been an amazing experience. Um, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. Tell us about, you know, sort of for those who ha- are not familiar with um, the Nutcracker. Uh, I mean, it's sort of a part of our our, our cultural kind of tapestry. Um, but people, some people maybe haven't seen, uh, uh, you know, the ballet and maybe don't know the story. Um, so maybe you could talk to them a little bit about it um, and, and, and particularly your character. And in some of the aspects sure. of of the story that you that you enjoy, some of the scenes, or you know, well, there's so many there's so many amazing scenes. It's hard for me at the moment to say <laughs> which is my favorite scene. I think at the moment everything is my favorite scene, um, but I'm thinking about the first act, and someone who is very family oriented can completely identify when you have family members or family friends that come over or come home for the holidays. So there's a there's a, a moment as the curtain as the curtain rises when everyone starts to kneel into the house. My character is already in there. She's already there. They're coming to her house for the holidays. So she's witnessing all the things happening as she's in, anticipating her family and friends coming to the house. So a part of me could definitely identify knowing when my aunt was coming over, when my, my, my niece was coming or grandma's coming and knowing and having that type of anticipation. I noticed that um, simply is something to tap into is something that I've already had, which is the family orientation of the holidays or when there's a, a break in the busy schedules in our lives where families and friends can get together. So that excitement at, woman and friends I enjoy that feeling even in rehearsals you have to know how to tap into those things so you can you can do your job mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so um, why don't you uh, give us some of the the background of the story, um, Graham, particularly um, thinking about um, the Dumas brothers, um, you know, <laughs> and um, and some of the um, the African history uh, connected to um, to this particular story, and then tell us, you know, about about this wonderful music and wow, to have the Oakland Symphony there and just just having that live music. I bet that really adds a lot to the production as well. Having the symphony is absolutely extraordinary. Michael Morgan is the conductor, the maestro, and the joy that you feel when these familiar melodies start washing over you um, is just, it's, it's a wonderful experience. You're sitting in this absolutely gem of a theater listening to classic music played by marvelous musicians. And uh, it just sets everything up for a really fantastic performance. And of course, as I mentioned, just having the choir there additionally really um, broadens the experience. And you mentioned the Dumas brothers, but I'm, I don't know who they are. Oh, well, they, uh, they wrote the original story that the Nutcracker is based on. Because uh, Tchaikovsky, you know, he did the music, but um, Alexander uh, Dumas, um, they they actually the story um, about you know the dream and all that that was um, they were um, people of African descent, and um, and and the story is taken from from theirs their their writing. Is it really? I, because uh-huh. I know the story to be written by E.T.A. Hoffman, the German writer. Mm-hmm. Did he base it mm-hmm. on yeah. the mm-hmm. Dumas story? I didn't know yeah. that part. No. I mean, I'm not exactly certain sort of how it, you know, the copyright stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they're in there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Well, the story mm-hmm. that, 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 that I know of is, you know, the young girl mm-hmm. given a gift defends uh, her, her, her nutcracker from the ratkin, and then the nutcracker turns mm-hmm. into a handsome prince who takes her to the land of snow. And then uh, in my production, via a hot air balloon, he takes her to the land of sweets, where everything is made of confectionery. And all the characters are linked to different types of sweets that were popular at the time. Although sometimes the historical connection is for today's audiences more difficult to track because one of the first dances we see is a dance from Spain representing mm. the chocolate. And people scratch their heads and say, well, why, do, why does chocolate come from Spain? Because the conquistadores brought the cocoa bean back to Spain. And, and, and Spain was famous, you know, 300 years ago for producing the best chocolate. Oh, really? Correct. So <laughs> that, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a coffee dance, which is uh, set in Arabia. There's a tea dance, which is set in China. So each of the dances has a connection to uh, dessert or to, uh, to sweets. And, of course, it finishes with the Sugar Plum Fairy and the Cavalier, which is a, sort of a masterful display of very beautiful uh, bravura dancing and lots of turns and lifts. Spectacular 
um, spectacular moments. But I see this story as rooted firmly in the dream that the Marie has. And at the very end of the production, she wakes up again on the sofa holding the nutcracker. And she's just like, was it all a dream? Was I really there? Did this really happen? And so you're left in that moment of uh, her childhood uh, fantasy and imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I really like the idea of, you know, of of the dreams. Oh, you know what? Um, I had it in the wrong direction. Alexandra Dumas, he actually altered the original version, which is the one um, by um, Hoffman. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah, so went in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, you know, so the whole idea of, of dreams and, you know, a lot of, I don't know, um, you know, some um, psychologists um, uh, like Jung say that, you know, when we dream, that's when we really live. Like, that's the real us, <laughs> you know, in the dream world. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. and then, you know, when we're in the waking world, you know, that's, you know, <laughs> you know, one could flip the two because we, we, we're more our authentic selves when we're in our dream world. And so just wondering mm-hmm. sort of if you have a, like a, a psychoanalytic kind of interpretation <laughs> of 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 these this this work and particularly, you know, some of the principal characters like, you know, Marie and we got this nutcracker and we got the rats and yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, all the the beautiful the sugar plums and all this other like all these sweets in the midst of this horror. And then the sweetness at the end. Oftentimes, you know, when you have a dream, it's because you were doing something that day. I don't know, you were, you were gardening, you know, and, you know, in your dream, you are, you know, you see flowers or, or something like that, so an, an event. So what I've tried to do um, in the first scene, which is the family party scene, um, I've tried to give a lot of different elements that come later. So there's a country cousin, and in her apron, she has a pet rat. And she uses this rat to frighten, <laughs> frighten people, and she's petting this rat. And so that's why when Marie falls asleep, she has this dream of the rats trying to take the soldiers out, you know. Um, so um, the, uh, the ballet begins, it's after the main course has been served, and, you know, cakes have been served with tea and coffee. The men are outside having a cigar or a pipe. And the ladies are inside around the table. So it, we start with dessert, with chocolate cakes and, and, lo- and lovely things like that. So that sort of also sets up the dream for her to think, well, she's going to the land of sweets. And in the dream, rather like Alice, you know, uh, she shrinks mm. down to the size of the nutcracker. So um, mm. the rats and the soldiers are fighting with cutlery, with knives and forks. And so it's like she's shrunk down to their size. Mm. Wow, wow, yeah. Hmm. And 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 lastly, I wanted to ask um, uh, you, um, <clears throat> uh, uh, Panika, if if this is um, you know, I, I know people sometimes have these roles that they want to dance, and I was wondering, um, this is not your first time um, performing this particular character, um, but the way that she's cast, the character's cast. And in this particular Nutcracker, um, you know, she there's a difference. And I was wondering, um, 
you know, um, as an artist, um, is this one of the characters that um, that one you know has has to to dance and to embody? Um, and and if there are others that like, okay, well, or or you might have already you know danced them all, but are there any other <laughs> uh, characters that? Um, that you are thinking about, hmm, I you know, I definitely have to do this one or have to do that one. And and how how Marie sort of shifts or changes your your positioning, your thinking, um like how how does having um you know, perform this particular character like change your trajectory as as a as a dancer or as an artist? Well, I think that I believe that as an artist, uh, there are definitely many moments that come along in your in my in my career, as I can say, where you will definitely have the opportunity to embody a character, um, maybe revisit one that you've already created and add to it, or uh, an entirely new experience. And I believe that I, I decided that with my my opportunity to do Marie this time, I feel like I wanted to do something. Uh, I want to have a different approach because as artists evolve, you you evolve as a woman, you evolve as an artist. So um, my approach to Marie this this year, this time, under these circumstances, is definitely going to be a little different because the production is different, and maybe I'm in a different place in my life. Uh, as an artist and as a woman, um, but I do believe that uh, this, be it be it classically uh, choreographed or something contemporary, I believe that as an artist you are definitely embodying a being or a feeling or a thought or some type of entity. Um, Marie is considered more of a character role for me, at least this version mm-hmm. of it, and. Um, um, the first step was to was to um, decide on how to approach her, how to approach her. Um, and she is not a uh, well, this Marie. She is not a uh, sheepish or uh, passive, overly passive young woman. Um, she is definitely very uh, educated and seasoned and curious and lively. And she likes solitaire. She likes solitude, and she also likes to have have fun and be a part of all the scenes um, and a vivid imagination. So, with that being said, I use the use that that information and apply that into the technical responsibilities and artistic responsibilities of this role. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. And many other roles oh. I've done, um, I'd love to mm-hmm. uh, revisit, and I'm always open to um, some things that I haven't done before. And just the process of being creative is always an amazing and a unique experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what, uh, what drew you to dance in the first place? Uh, as a young child, I was born uh, premature, a premature baby. So the doctor um, suggested to my mother as or as soon as possible to get her into 
something active and things that help develop their, your motor skills, you know, as far as hand-eye coordination things that help you with development. So my mother was like, well, we'll try it with, we'll try it with dance and some other types of sports. And I just kind of took a liking to to dance. Mm-hmm. So that in the beginning, huh. that's how I officially began dancing is thanks to my, my parents and being supportive, wanting to uh, own child out of three, um, something that would help them develop. Dance, dance started more of a therapeutic type of thing for me. And then the later, I and then the rest is history. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm really looking forward forward to um, to this production. Um, Graham, do you have any other um, comments that um, we uh, or things you want to say about the production that we haven't had an opportunity to cover? Um, Wanda, I always appreciate chatting with you, and uh, I want to say thank you for giving us the time. It's lovely to be here with Bonica this morning, and really, mm-hmm. I'd just like to encourage. Our, uh, your patrons, those that are listening to the show today, and their friends and families to come and see the Oakland Ballet. We've been around for 54 years. This is the 48th year that the Oakland Ballet has presented the Nutcracker at the Paramount Theater. And as I said, it's a beautiful production taking place in a beautiful venue. And I guarantee that audience, uh, families were going to have a really nice time uh, to see the performances which are taking place at one and at 5 o'clock on Saturday the 21st and at uh, Sunday the 23rd. Uh, tickets uh, can be bought at the Paramount Theater, and if anybody would like to learn more about the production and see the cast, learn more about Ponica, they can go to our website, which is www.oaklandballet.org. And there, there's also... A pod- a link to to be able to buy tickets there on our website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's the twenty uh, first and twenty second. The twenty third is Monday, um, so don't want people oh, to go sorry. on the thank wrong you. day. No, no, that's oh, okay. Thank you. 21st, and 22nd, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, and um, and it's so so cool. Um, you know, people can can go see go to um, see the Oakland Symphony uh, this Sunday, uh, the fifteenth for the annual seasonal uh, treat, uh, Let Us Break Bread, which is a celebration of, of you know, um, of African-American musical traditions. And this year, um, Aretha Franklin is, uh, the music mm-hmm. from Aretha Franklin, Franklin is going to be sort of central to, thematically, uh, to, to the concert. So that's going to be fun. And that's also at the Paramount Theater, um, which is located at 2025 Broadway. So so yeah, um you can make a make a this could be like your sort of your can sort of the the parent you know, the Oakland Ballet and the Oakland Symphony can sort of ease folks into twenty twenty in a good way. <laughs> yeah. With all this beautiful musical traditions. Yeah, yeah. Really wonderful. And uh yeah, so thank you. Thank you so much for making yourselves available and, and Good luck on the rest of your rehearsals, and and uh, look forward to uh, yeah. I'm gonna get there, Graham, this year because you've been telling me about Fantastic. it for all these years, and uh, definitely want to see you, uh, Panika, <laughs> in yes, this particular I role. Yeah. 
<laughs> All righty. Well, Loki, take good care. And again, thank you so much for joining us. Great thank pleasure. You. Thank you, Wanda. All best. You're welcome. Right. Peace and blessings. <laughs> Bye. 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 So we are going to rebroadcast um, our. I wanted to make it a little shorter, um, but I think um, I think what I'll do is um, I'm going to um, rebroadcast um, my interview with Ben Vereen, and and then I'm going to um, rebroadcast interview with uh, Cherie Hill and um, <clears throat> and gosh, let me. Get her name correct. <laughs> um, let's see. They are um, um, these choreographers are. This is the last week of um, of dancing. Um, is it dancing diaspora? Yeah, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, yeah, dancing diaspora and um, no performing diaspora. Uh, she verse and mouthful, and um, wow, it's it's so so wonderful. And I God, I hope I can get back there um, to see um, uh, Cherie Hill's dancing, Cherie Hill's she verse, and Shabuizway uh, uh, Crouch and um, and Gabriel Christian's mouthful. Um, you get two. Two productions in one evening at, at Counterpost, and uh, so anyway, it's uh, really wonderful. It's Thursday is Pay What You Can, and Friday, Saturday, um, uh, at Counterpost, which is in um, in San Francisco near the Powell Street Bar. You can walk to Counterpost um, from there. I think it's 70 Turk Street. It might be 80 Turk Street. <laughs> I need to look at this. Let me let me tell you since you're listening. Let me make sure I get you the right address because I wouldn't want you to miss it. Um, <clears throat> let's see what's the address. Oh, did I? Uh, I am looking for the address and not seeing it yet. Uh, still looking. Still looking. Hmm. Oh darn it! I'm still looking for the address. Oh, here we go. Um, Oh, darn. Oh, um, yeah, 80 Turk Street. Sorry, not 70. 80 Turk Street. Um, so, yeah, and it's a really, really, really wonderful, wonderful production. So you don't want to miss that. And so, um, yeah, and on, on December 12th, which is Thursday, tomorrow there's going to be um, a live audio description and haptic access tour with Gravity Access Services for the visually impaired audience members. And the haptic access tour begins at 7. The program, the show starts at 8. And uh, and each each evening uh, there's going to be uh, a special guest um, artist um, as a part of Mouthful. And so uh, Spelling um, and Tyler Holmes are the guests tomorrow. And Wizard Apprentice... Um, Jose E. Abad um, is the 13th, which is Friday, and then on Saturday, which is the closing evening, uh, is uh, Idira Allegra and Stephanie Hewitt, so that's the 14th. So, yeah, you can go more than once because um, there are um, 
different things happening. It's real magical. It is just simply awesome. So I'm going to play that that uh, interview. Uh, Gabriel wasn't able to join us, but uh, Shabizwe, Crouch, and um, and uh, Cherie Hill, um, they joined us to talk about this production. And I saw it last week, and I cannot encourage you uh, more strongly to not – not miss this one because it is simply fantastic. So we're going to play Ben Vereen talking about um, he uh, was going to be visiting uh, the Raz Room, which um, uh, was what the um, the venue in uh, Hotel Nico was called at that time. They still have music, but it's not the Raz Room. And, and then um, this is an interview from seven years ago. And I'm not going to play it all. I'm going to play a little bit, and and then we're going to jump right into um, jump right into the conversation with uh, Cherie. Actually, I had an interview with um, B B Ben before that because the Mbongi um, uh, Dance Festival, Mbongi Festival, is kicking off next week, the 19th, and I think. It's also it's two weekends, so it's next weekend, the 19th, the 20th, 21st, uh, 22nd, and then the following week. It's going to be in multiple venues, but on the 19th, Beeb is going to be giving a talk about the Nkisi, and that's going to be awesome. So you don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss any of their classes as well as um, a dance festival. So featuring different artists, but Beeb said he's going to be performing in all of the different um, festival performances. So I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, oh, and then um, hopefully we'll, we'll get um, somebody from African American Shakespeare Company to join us to talk about their um, their season favorite, Cinderella, which um, I think is going up. Is it going up this weekend or next week? No, I think it's going up next weekend. And then um, uh, the uh, Lorraine Hansberry Theater's, uh, Soulful Christmas, it's going up Friday, and it's two weekends. And uh, what else is going on? Oh, oh, that's right. I wanted to mention that there's going to be um, there's a new Nutcracker performance that um, is uh, is going up. It's going to be at Castlemont um, High School, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to be talking to um, two of the directors on Friday morning as well. Um, the um, the performance. Let me see if I can find it. I can tell you about it. It's um, actually, I think I do have it. Let me look at my email. Um, yeah, um, it's. Um, I don't think it's two weekends, so I want to tell you about it because um, if I don't tell you about it, you might not. You might miss it, and that would be really unfortunate because it's the first year that they're doing it, and it sounds really, really awesome. Oh, and today. Oh, man, there's so much to tell you. Oh, my goodness. Um, Today, uh, there's a few things going on. Um, UC Berkeley, um, for its uh, 400 Years of Resistance, is um, having a free screening of the film The Long Shadow at 2 p.m. And uh, and the film is uh, directed by uh, Frances Causey. And she's going to be in discussion with Professor John Powell, who is the director of um the um um the institute of a belonging 
which um, had another name, um, which is escaping me right now. <laughs> um, let's see. Let me tell you what the other name was. But um, uh, let's see. Um, did I, let me get it here just a second. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not seeing it right now. But um, the uh, the screening is going to be on PBS. It's going to be uh, having a, a theatrical, having a PBS um, screening uh, next year during Black History Month 2020. And it might have a theatrical run. But you can see the film free, and you can actually meet the director, which is awesome. The... Uh, the film again. The screening is um, at 2 p.m. and it's in Berkeley's uh, Banatao B-A-N-A-T-A-O Auditorium at uh, Satarja Dai Hall, and uh, Satarja is, is spelled S-U-T-A-R-D-J-A-D-A-I. Another word, Hall. And I'm not certain where that is. So I'm gonna have to look it up myself. But it's at 2 p.m., so, you know, just arrive on campus a little earlier so you can find it. So um, John Paul, again, is the director of Berkeley's Othering and Belonging Institute, and it was formerly the Haas Institute for Fair and Inclusive Society. And they're hosting this panel discussion following the screening. And, uh, again, um, the uh, the Othering, Othering and Belonging Institute um, director, um, uh, professor John A. Powell and um and uh, Berkeley law professor Ian Hanny Lopez. Um they're they're actually um they're actually in the film too. The Long Shadow. Should be really interesting. And the Long Shadow basically um is the director looking at her family's uh, involvement on both sides of the family and uh in the slavery and enslavement of African people. And um, the director has known, you know, her family history, to, you know, connected to this racial injustice. Um, however, um, you know, she now has this document where she interrogates um, her family's involvement and responsibility um, to undo this travesty of justice. So, yeah, so it should be really interesting. And And then I wanted to tell you about, this um really um wonderful um sounding uh, nutcracker is um it's uh this particular journey um oakland's new nutcracker cracker journeys through the african diaspora and um again it is let's see um it's a twist on the traditional ballet. There's no nutcracker, there's no mouse, and there's no Clara either. Instead, 13-year-old dancer Amalinda Origunwa performs the lead role in Nzinga, role of Nzinga, who travels the African diaspora learning different kinds of dance as the show unfolds. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it, it sounds like it's going to be really, really awesome. And and I heard it um I heard it on on uh, KQED radio, and and so um, yeah, and the costumes are really really awesome. It's called Cola, K O L A, an Afro diasporic remix of the Nutcracker, and um, and let's see where is it going to be happening? 
the People's Conservatory um, um, is um, is is um, sponsoring it. Um, Sasha Koha, uh, actually, no, that's Sasha Koha. In the California Report magazine, Sasha Koha spoke with Roz Nash, the founder and director of the People's Conservatory, and and uh, Roz is going to be on our show on Friday talking about um, this. Uh, Dance company putting on the show, and um, and I'm looking for I'm, I'm looking for um, uh, the um, the information about tickets and things like that, and I'm so not seeing it right at the moment. <laughs> um, okay, I know they have a Facebook page, and. Um, and it's called Cola, K-O-L-A, and an Afro diaspora remix is Nutcracker. And um, let's see, and the People's Conservatory, T-P-C, and uh, yeah, and the and the show premieres um, the 12th through the 22nd. So this weekend and next weekend, Thursday through Saturday, 7 p.m. and Sunday at 2. And tickets are. $15 for adults and $10 for children in advance, and $20 for adults and $15 for children um, at the door. And, again, it's at Castlemont High School, 8601 MacArthur Boulevard in Oakland. And, um, and like I said, they have a Facebook page where you can get tickets. Um, but you can also go to thepeoplesconservatory.org and get your tickets there. So, yeah, I just want to make sure I let you know about that because it looks so awesome, and I'm so happy we're going to be talking to Roz on on Friday. So now I'm going to play Ben Vereen, <laughs> and and I'm going to um, get the other uh, information up uh, about um, you know so you can listen to um, listen to uh, Cherie and and Cherie's. Uh, uh, Oh man, how do I say her name? Shabee's way. And and oh, one more thing. Today um is the um West Coast stop of the um um let's see um people's poor people's movement um uh let's see. Um yeah, I want to um send you that information. I want to give you this information too. <laughs> yeah, they're the uh, the Moral March, um, let's see, mass meeting, uh, let's see, what is it? The Na- we Must Do More Tour, um, and MORE is an acronym, Mobilizing, Organizing, Registering, Educating. So the We Must more be, we must um, Do More Tour is, is having its stop in San Francisco today. Um, there, um, oh, wait a second. Uh, hmm. Today's the eleventh. Oh, it looks like um, wow. Um, oh, they're gonna be um, they're gonna be they're gonna be uh stopping off at. Wow, that's so awesome at the Youth Spirit Arts Work Gallery. Oh, from eleven to twelve thirty. How neat. Oh wow. Um, wow, that's awesome. And then um, there's a march and mass meeting. Um, this evening, uh, 5.45 to 9, um, starting at the uh, San Francisco City Hall, uh, 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place. And then there's a march um, 
mass meeting, a march to the mass meeting at Glide Memorial Church at 330 Ellis Street in San Francisco. And people who are impacted are going to testify. Um, Curtis Bradford, Nita B., Alicia Cole, Bobby Ramsey Clark, Crystal Sanchez, along with Reverend Dr. Barber and Reverend Dr. Theo Harris. So um, so that's going to be really awesome. So I'm going to, I think that's everything. <laughs> and uh, for more information, uh, where can you go? Um, looking for a website. Um, and you know the big um, uh, the big march um, on the big gathering, the People's Assembly, mass the mass uh, poor people's assembly and moral march on Washington is going to be June twentieth, twenty twenty, and that's going to be really really phenomenal. So we must be we must do more mobilizing, organizing, registering, and educating is a part of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, and uh, and so um, I'm not sure which stop on the tour this is. But um, yeah, I'm really excited about about being a part of this. Um, yeah. So, okay. <laughs> Here is Ben Vereen. What would I like to know? That is so cool. Well, gosh. Um, hmm. Maybe we should uh, talk about what's bringing you out here to San Francisco. You've got a, a new CD and you've got a new show, and maybe you could tell us about what you're bringing to the Raz Room uh, June 12th. What I'm bringing to the Raz Room? Yeah, yeah. What a great this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Of course. Give us some details. <laughs> Who? Because I think you're bringing a band, right? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And some new material. Yeah, some new material, and, you know, I'm working on a, a show that I'm taking to Broadway. Mm. So I'll be working on that there, and so it's going to be exciting. Oh, so you're going to test it out on us. That's great. We love mm-hmm. that. Okay. So you're going to be, um, I believe, um, sort of bringing uh, back some, some old favorite tunes and some honoring some of your favorite goodies. folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oldies but goodies, yeah. That's... Oldies but goodies. You know, <laughs> people that, you know, that we grew up with and have touched my life. You know, people I've worked with. Mm-hmm. You know, Sammy Davis, Frank Sinatra, you know, people yeah. like that, Bob Fosse, um, mm. Tom O'Horgan, you know, and hair. I did hair, matter of fact, right there in San Francisco. You did? New Orleans Theater, yeah. Wow. I came up some time ago, and I found, I discovered a guy named Michael Philip Thomas. Mm-hmm. Oh. And he did, he was doing burgers. So I hired him in Los Angeles, and uh, he hurt his back. And so they called me to come up to the Orpheum Theater to cover for him. Mm-hmm. And that's when we, you know, we really got to be good friends years ago. Mm-hmm. And then I was at the On Broadway Theater where there's no place to be somebody. Charles Gardone's play. Mm-hmm. And it was, <laughs> so San Francisco and I have a history. Yeah. I lived in Berkeley for a while. You did? Yes, I did. Wow. As a matter of fact, there was a guy named Wasserman, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wrote an article on me. I did my first concert at the On Broadway Theater mm-hmm. in those years. Yeah. And got my launch there. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So, <laughs> so you have some dear memories of the Bay Area. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Oh, that's dear, funny. Dear, huh? dear memories. <laughs> wow, that is so awesome. I was reading your lovely, but I just love that caricature of you on your on your website. It's so cute. Well, thank you. Thank and then you. your photographer, you got some great photographs, you know, when 
they're sort of, um, you know, going through the, um, you know, sort of showing you the different different looks of Ben Vereen. Yes, yes. <laughs> Those are really Thank nice, you. too. And you've gotten, like, what, 10 doctorates? Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, wow, well, you're That's like, yeah, wow. Well, I was like, mm, so wonderful. And I was looking at one was from um, the Megar Evers College there in, in um, Megar Evers. Yeah. yeah, is that in Brooklyn? No. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is Brooklyn, right? Mm-hmm. And they sponsor um, a, uh, a ritual every year, the second Saturday in June. It's called um, Libations for the Ancestors, and it's an uh, international pouring for our ancestors that uh, died or made that passage, you know, during the uh, the European slave trade. And, um, really? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And so, and it's a really well, old I'm celebration. I'm honored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Honored. Yeah, and I thought, wow, how fitting, um, you mm-hmm. know, sort of looking at, you know, your your really famous role in in Roots, and I was watching some of the segments on Oprah's um, website. And oh yes, when we did the reunion. Yeah, yeah, and and the yeah. part where you talked about how you really wanted to be in the 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 uh, the film, and and how your agent was saying, well, you know, you're a song and dance man. They need an actor. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. So that was yeah, funny. I, I fired him. Oh, good, good. You need someone with vision, someone with yeah, vision, for sure. Exactly. hmm Yeah, and so I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, I was thinking one if we could start with, you know, that Chicken George character um, uh, and um, and sort of, you know, your preparation, you know, within your life for that role uh, as the child of, of, of a rape and um, and then, you know, sort of being known by that uh you know, that bird, the chicken, the chicken which is used to venerate the ancestors and, mm. and you know, sort of stands for, you know, life, you know, fertility, because oh, every look day... At look at you, look at you, you got it all down. You don't need this if you read, just write it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might not agree with me, you know. Thank you, my queen, thank you very much. Yeah, thank but you. I just thought about, you know, sort of the whole renewal, and then, and then within your personal life, um, you know, finding out that you have another family mm-hmm. after and having that the one. That wasn't until later yeah, in years. I, mm-hmm. my, my baby daughter, Quran, mm-hmm. came to me one day and said, Dad, you know, you know, Mom has her history, but we don't, you know, you, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And I decided to go for my search. It's interesting that I did Roots, and I really didn't have any knowledge of my past until, you know, I went to Europe uh, with Sammy Davis Jr., and mm-hmm. uh, he said, you know, you have to get a passport. And I went down to get a passport, and I found out that I wasn't who I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And that's when I, my search began. You know, So for me, doing Roots was really interesting because I was doing a part of a, a story about legacy, but I hadn't found mine. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So it was quite overwhelming. It was quite overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, I was wondering, so... When you when you um like you have it sounded like you had a wonderful you know childhood and, and family that raised you um oh you did I did Most yeah, definitely. yeah yeah love personified mm-hmm. you know it was interesting because when I when I found this out the woman who raised me Pauline Green mm-hmm. uh, she uh, when I found it out and I came back from Europe and I looked at her and she was really taken by this whole discovery because she would never wanted me to know. Mm. And uh, and I looked at her and I told her, I said, you're the only mother I know. You're the only eyes I saw when I looked up, you know. So you're my mother. 
you know. Mm-hmm. And so we left it that way. That's what she came and she told me what had happened, you know, and uh, she told me about my mother. And uh, when my daughter said, you know, Dad, we got to find, you know, who your people are. And uh, we went looking. Mm-hmm. And I found them about, uh, oh, four years ago, five years ago now. Oh, it's been that recent. Yes, that recent. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. okay. And this one interesting thing, and I'm writing it in my book, is that they lived an hour. My mother, my original mother, lived an hour away from me, but she didn't know who I was. She went looking for me. Hmm. And uh, when you know, in 1946, when you say you go to the police and say you have know, lost a child, they weren't interested. You know, I'm supposed oh. to be an African American woman. You know, hmm. so she stayed there two years looking for me. Wow. And um, and then she went to. She lived in Connecticut. One hour away from me. So hmm. you got to read the book because it's very interesting about how we got back together. Yeah. She's no longer with us, of course. Right, yeah, yeah, she passed. Um, yes. That's, that's amazing. Um, yeah, and so how how did your mother, you know, your your mother, you know, f- who raised you, how did she, how did they find you? Uh, well, it's a, it's a couple of stories. One is that my mother, um, it's in the book. <laughs> yes, read the book. <laughs> okay, okay. I will, I will yes, totally read. I'm not one of those people. You tell me the punchline, and I don't listen yeah, to the joke. Yeah, she, you, t- um, you tell me the ending, and I will still read the book. Don't worry. Okay, <laughs> wonderful. Well, what happened was, was supposedly my mother, um, my, my birth mother, yes. was, uh, they met one, and in a storm. And um, she was my supposedly according to story I got that she was homeless, mm-hmm. and uh, my mother took her to the woman who raised me took her. Oh gosh, um, <laughs> sorry for just stopping, um, Ben Vereen, because um, we had a live guest joining us, and um, darn, um, she just. Uh, I'm gonna play. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna play um, Ben Vereen's "Mr. Bojangles" while I no, actually with a song in my heart. That's a nice one too. Um, but I really like Bojangles. I'm gonna play um, Mr. Bojangles and um, and get this other our other guest, our special guest in the studio. Be right back with you. I knew a man, Sammy Davis, he danced for you In shiny tap shoes High-collared silk shirts, tuxedo pants Sam would do the old soft shoe When he sang this song, he'd jump high Remember how Sammy Davis used to, used to jump up high? And then Sammy, he would lightly Touchdown. He sang of Mr. Bojangle. Sammy would sing a Bojangle. Sammy would sing a Bojangle. And Sam would say, Man, the cat can dance. Hi, is this, um, Dr., um, uh, Reverend Dr. Theo Harris. Harris? Yeah. Oh, That's super. Right. Yes. Like, oh, good, good. Because I, I saw someone call. I was like, oh, and they're gone. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, sorry. Oh, no, that's okay because I, I, um, I had stopped a pre recorded interview. I'm really happy that you can join us um, today to talk about yeah. uh, the uh, Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, and, 
And this uh, We Can Do More tour and, you know, with the Bay Area stop here in the San Francisco Bay Area, you know, tonight over at Glide Memorial Church, you know, preceded by a march from um, San Francisco City Hall uh, at 6. And then today you all are just, you know, in the Bay Area. So if you could tell us a little bit about um, how you and um, and Reverend Barber, um, Dr. William uh, J. Barber, you know, came to found this this movement that's going to have this big march on Washington on June 20th, 2020. That's right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for being interested and and for for talking. So indeed, uh, we're in the Bay Area um, on a 25 state tour. Uh, this is a couple years into the launch of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. We launched mm-hmm. back in 2018, uh, where uh, thousands, tens of thousands of people in 43 state capitals and in Washington, D.C., engaged in the largest and most expansive wave of nonviolent civil disobedience in the 21st century. Um, and, and that was around the interlocking injustices of systemic racism and poverty, ecological devastation, the war economy, and this distorted moral narrative of religious nationalism. And so this campaign has been in the works for some years, uh, but it launched on the 50th anniversary of Dr. King uh, announcing a Poor People's Campaign as the last campaign of his life. And um, we said that the only way to honor uh, a fallen fighter, a fallen prophet, um, was to take up the work they were doing when they fell and take it the next mile. We also said that even if Dr. King hadn't uh, organized a Poor People's Campaign 50 years ago uh, with 140 million poor and low-income people, with 15 million people who can't afford water, with, with uh, 30 million uh, people without health insurance, with 62 million workers making less than a living wage, that uh, we would need a Four People's Campaign, a National Call for Moral Revival today. Um, and so we've been organizing, and, and grassroots leaders, poor people, clergy, activists, advocates have all come together um, to be a part of this direct action movement, to be a part of mobilizing and organizing, registering, and educating people for a movement that votes. And so we're excited to be did, in the did Bay. I, and, I can't hear be... you anymore. Oh, no, you can't hear me? Oh, now I can hear you. Hello? Oh I can hear goodness. you now. I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. I was talking. <laughs> um, <laughs> can you hear me now? Yes, of course. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, anyways, we're, 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 you know, on this tour and we're, and we're connecting up and, and building thousands and thousands of people that will be a part of this um, uh, Mass Poor People's Assembly and Moral March on Washington um, on June 20th, 2020. Yeah. So, so how did you? Um, and because you're you're young, um, <laughs> how did you and um, and and uh, Reverend Dr. Barber, you know, sort of meet and and come together on this particular, um, uh, you know, campaign mission? That's great. Yeah. So, so I I have been doing this work for about 25 years. I am in my 40s at this point, but um, uh, but I come out of organizing amongst the homeless amongst welfare recipients, amongst low-wage workers. And um, 
having been a low-wage worker myself, having experienced homelessness myself, um, but also as a Christian minister, someone who has been called to, you know, organize and serve the poor. And so um, I, uh, I've been doing grassroots organizing, kind of uh, learning, you know, when I was actually organizing amongst the homeless about Dr. King's Poor People's Campaign and saying, what will it look like for us to organize a similar campaign? And so I'm the director of the Kairos Center for Religions, mm-hmm. Rights, and Social Justice, which is at Union Theological Seminary. And for many years, we had actually um, been uh, weaving together a grassroots network of, of poor people's organizations, folks without health care, folks without sanitation and running water, uh, people who are homeless, who have been organizing. And, and not just organizing, but winning water affordability programs and the right for homeless people to vote. And, um, and so when we, uh, when we were taking that work to the next stage and, and talking about what it would look like to, to reignite a poor people's campaign for today, this was in November of 2013, it was some months after um, uh, the Moral Mondays movement in North Carolina had gotten started and where, you know, thousands of people um, would get arrested in um, this massive state-based um, organizing uh, drive. Uh, and Reverend Barber was the architect of that Moral Mondays movement. And so uh, I invited him to be the keynote speaker at an event um, for the Cairo Center um, where we kind of launched and announced that we were working on this Poor People's Campaign. And, and he came and, and he talked about the important lessons and and um, and uh, principles of the Moral Mondays movement. And at that point, we realized that we had a lot of work to do together. And so uh, he invited me to travel around with him on this 26-state tour um, back in 2015. Um, it was a moral revival tour. And uh, I invited him to different gatherings of poor people organizing. Um, and so then in... Uh, on watch night of December 31st, uh, 2015, um, uh, and then in 2016, um, we uh, we called for this Poor People's Campaign and a, a national call for moral revival. And, and so then we started to travel around the country and meet up with grassroots leaders, you know, doing this all, you know, very grassroots, very states up, you know, very communities up, um, not going to the big national organizations or or networks, but starting with the people, with those that are most impacted, and um, and you know, uh, and then encouraging folks to form state coordinating committees made up of impacted leaders and clergy and activists, um, and start you know, uh, commissioning what we call the Souls of Poor Folk Audit, uh, where we uh, mm-hmm. looked at the past 50 years of the United States and where we stand on issues like militarism and racism and poverty, um, where things had come from when Dr. King had called for a poor people's campaign. And we found that, you know, that there are 140 million people who are poor and low income. We found that um, we have fewer voting rights today than we did 54 years ago. We found, you know, that the, the breadth and depth of the injustices impacting Americans are really at an all-time high and that um, it, it requires a moral response and organizing response. And so, uh, you know, we've been, been doing this work together and traveling around and, and um, you know, really as, as co-chairs of this Poor People's Campaign that has many, many, many leaders in it, um, you know, folks all over the country and states all over the country 
um, putting forth a moral agenda, an agenda that that says that we could all have universal health care, we could have free college education, we could forgive student debt, we could expand voting rights, we can treat indigenous people um, right, we could have immigration uh, reform that would would have a timely path to citizenship so people would have the right to vote, we could, we could end mass incarceration, we could um, make sure water is affordable and clean for all, we can have it all. Um, and it would actually cost the society less than the poverty and racism and inequality that we have now. Um, and so we're building power to be able to enact those demands, that agenda, that vision that's coming from the people. Um, and so it's powerful to be, you know, in the Bay Area where there's been a history of, of people doing organizing. Um, and we can link up with those leaders and, and carry it the next mile. Right. Wow. Wow. My goodness. Um, so um, I, I noticed, I remember when, um, I don't know if it was a part of the audit, but I remember when in various various um, municipalities in the Bay Area, uh, one of the stops was, was in Oakland, um, there were testimonies mm-hmm. of people just telling their stories. And um, um, and then even even on this particular, um, we must do more, you know, mobilizing, organizing, registering, educating um, is what MORE stands for. Um, uh, you're going to be stopping at, at a youth spirit. And so I'm like, wow. So, you know, these voices, um, I mean, you know, there's, you're, you're getting, you know, young people, you know, the, the transitional okay. age youth um, voices you know they're being heard they're a part of of the conversation and um and I was just you know it's just just really great and I was just wondering sort of uh what are okay so the big march June 20th 2020 but I was wondering you know sort of looking at we're having um the last democratic um debate you know this month I was just wondering sort of how mm-hmm. how this particular movement ties into the political movement and and the leadership uh, of this nation. Yeah, that's a powerful question because because the Poor People's Campaign and National Call for More Revival is is mm-hmm. is nonpartisan, right? Um, right. But we yeah. are deeply political. Um, we are deeply political, <laughs> right? So, in the mm-hmm. 2016 election, there were 26 debates, um, both in the primary and in the general election, right? And not one of those debates took up poverty for even 15 minutes, let alone the whole debate. Not one of them took up the fact that we have fewer voting rights today than we did 50 years ago, despite, you know, people dying for us to have those rights. You know, not one of them took up the problem of living wages uh, in a real way or universal health care in a real way. And so we said we cannot have another high stakes, high money uh, election cycle where the issues that are affecting not just a couple of people, not just one group in one city, but the majority of people in this country aren't front and center. Um, And not just as talk, not just as lip service, but as political action, right? So so we had a Poor People's Moral Action uh, Congress. You know, some of our adversaries have have their own political action congresses. And so we, we said, we're going to have this Poor People's Moral Action Congress, and and at that Congress, we uh, um, actually hosted the the largest forum with presidential candidates, with all the front runners, um, 
in this election season. And, and we pose to those candidates questions about homelessness and about youth um, in schools, the, desegregate, the resegregation of schools, you know. Um, we pose the problems of mistreatment of indigenous people. And, um, and, and we were, you know, a multiracial, intergenerational, multi-religious group because um, that's who the four are, right? And so, um, and we, we got all of them on tape to say that they committed to having a debate, a discussion in this election um, with families that are impacted about these real issues. And so, so a bunch of this mobilizing, organizing, registering, and educating people for a movement, but a movement that votes, tour that we're on right now, is about making our candidates, making our politicians hear what the real issues are, see where the people are. You know, we will come out in January, I think it's going to be, with a major study that will show that in, in states across the country and communities across the country, if you just had a small percentage of poor people voting around an agenda together, it could fundamentally change politics. Um, you know, there's 140 million poor and low-income people in this country. It was only 138 million people that voted for either candidate in the 2016 election. That's a power, right? A power of poor people. There's lots of reasons why people might um, have not been super engaged in the political process up until this point, you know, not hearing their issues, not hearing their name, not hearing politicians have anything to say about the, the, the problems that are besetting people's lives. But what we're trying to do is to build this power base amongst the poor, uh, not just for this election. We surely want to impact this election. We surely, uh, you know, have some immediate needs that, that need to be met um, in terms of, you know, stopping these food stamp cuts, stopping these housing cuts, stopping these health care cuts that are happening, but also building the power to have a society that, you know, people are able to thrive and live full lives and abundant lives and not just barely survive and barely eke through uh, a mere existence. And so, um, so you know, we, we are very engaged um, and will be all year uh, in, again, registering people for a movement, but that movement votes and protests and sings and organizes and educates together, right? Um, and, and is about pushing, uh, you know, in the words of Dr. King, uh, the power structures um, to say yes when they may be desirous of saying no. Because right now, you know, we've got some power structures that are saying no to a lot of poor people in the society. But, but if we build up those stories and those solutions coming from the people, we can, we can indeed have an impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, talk a little bit about the specifics of, of this particular stop. Do, um, do, does each uh, particular stop on the uh, Me Must, We Must Do More um, uh, tour specific to the, um, the geographic area where, because, you know, every area probably has its own specific um, issues. So I was just wondering... Um, like what is the focus of this stop, and and how did Glide Memorial become you know the place for the the larger conversation uh, with everyone you know this evening, and and then you're stopping you know at uh, Youth Spirit Arts work, and I noticed um, last week I had um, 
Nell Myhan on my show to talk about um, the art that they were going to be doing to to um, to sort of illustrate, you know, people's views tonight uh, at Glide. They're going to put the art up. Um, so I noticed that art, you know, visual art, and maybe even performance art seems to be a part of, of the movement. I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about this particular stop and um, and what some of the goals and objectives are. Right, yeah. So indeed, um, the movement arts, cultural arts are central. You know, we have a saying in our work where uh, the arts are not decorating. You know, they're not a, an afterthought, right? Um, that, um, that, you know, much of how we feel and what we see as possible as a as a as a people as a nation is is through the cultural arts and so in fact in, all across the country in every state coordinating committee we have movement cultural artists we have what we call field musicologists you know folks that are song leaders and that are are sharing the chants and the songs and and creating you know a culture of this movement um, that we spread out and so so there'll be beautiful banners and. There was an art build yesterday, and people have been preparing a lot of um, artistic material, um, movement material, um, for for the march today, for the event, mass meeting this evening, for for the tour stop. I mean, the visits, um, play visits that are happening, and so it is really important. And so the focus in terms of the the um, events today. Um, you know, so a lot of it is determined by the local communities. Um, we we make it really clear that um, that these interlocking injustices of racism and poverty, ecological devastation, militarism, and this distorted narrative are impacting communities and intersecting and interlocking in our lives on a regular basis. And so, so we don't go and just hold up healthcare issues one place and and jobs issues somewhere else. Um, but that, in fact, you know, these issues are all intersecting and interlocking in our lives, and so we hold them up everywhere. But, but still, what what has become very clear to us in the Bay Area is is the issue of homelessness is a very significant one, um, and there are homeless people who are organizing, right? Who are who are who are um, uh, coming together as the center and core of this Four People's Campaign, a National Call for Moral Revival. And are saying, you know, we may be homeless, but we're not helpless, and we can organize, and we are organizing, and we're, you know, coming up with the kind of solutions to the affordable housing crisis that exists in this country, but then also the healthcare crisis, also the low wage workers, you know, low wage jobs crisis, and so, um, so we will surely hear from folks that are impacted by homelessness and who are organizing as a part of this campaign. We'll hear about, you know, the intergenerational issues, whether it's young people or old people. Um, who are all disproportionately, you know, poor and low income. Um, we'll hear about the kind of militarization of our communities and 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 the spending that we spend on on, on military and war um, that doesn't go to our communities, that doesn't go to healthcare programs and education programs. Um, we'll hear some about you know the, the school to prison pipeline. Um, we'll hear about um, you know uh, the the kinds of uh, realities when people you know, don't make living wages when they work uh, full-time. You know, it'll be connected to everything from people that that experienced the Paradise Fire uh, last year and are still being impacted by these wildfires that are spreading across California um, to to the 
the crisis around immigration and, and this attack on immigrants. And so, so what you'll see is, is the kind of intersection and interlockingness of all of these injustices, but how a movement, uh, a fusion movement, we call it a moral fusion movement, um, you know, people from all walks of life, from diversities coming out of their silos into a, a larger campaign that, that says that, that, that those that are most impacted can and are helping to lead, you know, this nation to, to change and transform and to make it uh, a place that is great for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, does does the um, the movement um, after after June twentieth, twenty twenty, what happens? So you know, June twentieth is is a transformational movement, you know, moment. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in different moments in history, there's been these need for a generational transformational moment um, where people have this activity to organize around. Um, but it's but it's it's really about the kind of organizing work that people are doing to get there and to get you know from there both into the 2020 election and then beyond. Right? I mean, we are shifting the narrative. We're trying to make this country hear about the real issues hear about the real solutions and we're trying to build power. Um, and so that's for the long term, right? That's, that's that we're trying to have an impact in, in November, but also way beyond, you know, that no matter who gets elected, that we have a powerful group of impacted leaders, of moral leaders, of people of goodwill and conscience who think that um, it, it's immoral for people to die on the streets homeless when there are abandoned houses that, that could house everybody. That it's immoral to to allow multinational water corporations to bottle up and sell, you know, all kinds of water back to families that that have their kids being removed from their homes because they can't afford their high water bills. Right. That that these kind of contradictions don't have to be. Um, and so we're building a movement that 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 can you know really fundamentally transform this nation for the better for everybody. And so. Um, so, you know, people will keep on organizing after June um, towards November, but then way beyond, right? And and what we're seeing is that these powerful um, alliances, unlikely alliances of, of undocumented immigrants and low-wage workers and family farmers and and um, homeless people and, and faith um, leaders are all coming together to say, you know, we, we like – we can do we can do better we can do more you know and um and and you know we can make poverty history we can make racism history we can we can curb the destruction of of the earth um and we we could you know have peace economies not war economies um and so so i think that that has to do a lot with you know the kind of work we're trying to do and um and the bit power that we're building yeah, I like that peace economy. That's really beautiful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wonder if you could give our audience, um, uh, for those who who want to attend um, this afternoon, um, you know, meeting at uh, San Francisco City Hall for the uh, the march over to Glide Memorial Church um, at 6 p.m. Um, uh, sort of information on how they can stay connected or become connected to um the uh poor people's campaign great so so please join us you know again 
um, and San Francisco City Hall and at Glad Memorial this evening. Um, you can also uh, text 90975. You can text the word moral, M-O-R-A-L, to the, to the number 90975, and you'll, you'll be added to um, the kind of membership list or the, the mailing list of the Poor People's Campaign. And folks in San Francisco, in California, will be able to be in touch with you and get you involved in, in the grassroots organizing work that, 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 that folks are doing with the Poor People's Campaign today. You can also go to the website, poorpeoplescampaign.org, and you can both uh, sign up for, to be a part and get alerts about the campaign. Um, you can also register right now for June 20th, 2020, and say that you're willing to try to organize you know, a delegation to come or that you're willing to come yourself or you might have some time to volunteer and get involved um, and help promote, you know, this important Poor People's Assembly and Moral March on Washington. So um, you can go to, to Facebook and to Twitter, Poor People's Campaign, um, or you can go to poorpeoplescampaign.org, uh, or you can text MORAL, M-O-R-A-L, to 90975. Um, and I hope that people do join us. Um, at Glad Memorial and at San Francisco City Hall this evening on this We Must Do More tour. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure you have a lot of, um, you know, sort of really epiphanies and high points, um, you know, in, in this, this movement that's been going on. You know, it's like a protracted, you know, um, intensive, intensive, you know, um, focused uh, query. And I was just wondering if maybe you could share uh, maybe a few um, high points that have just really um, ignited your spirit and just, like, you know, helped you sort of revitalize, you know, your commitment to to the long haul of this particular, um, you know, continuation of, you know, our great ancestor, Dr. King's uh, vision. So we were in um, Selma, Alabama, um, where mm. a lot of uh, – Freedom struggles have have taken place, um, and I got to meet Miss um, Callie Greer, uh, who has actually lost two of her children, one to gun violence and one to the lack of medical care, um, and who's committed that her children will not have died in vain um, because she's going to fight until everybody has health care. Um, and she's connected up with folks from Lowndes County, Alabama, uh, which is where the Black Panther Party uh, got its start. Um, but where today, in 2019, there uh, isn't sanitation services. And so there's raw sewage in people's yards. And this is poor black, poor white people's yards. Um, and then uh, she also connected up with people in Mobile, Alabama, um, where there's high rates of pollution that is causing all kinds of cancer and death and low-wage workers uh, whose kids have been taken from them because they can't afford to pay all of their bills. Um, and so, you know, this powerful coalition of folk in Alabama, you know, have come together and are organizing together. And, and it, to me, just gives me great um, comfort um, that there are people like Callie Greer and, and like others um, from Lowndes County and from Mobile and from Birmingham and from Montgomery, who have all, you know, come together in the spirit of those that have come before and are continuing this, this fight. And so um, it's been powerful to, to be there. And, and, um, and uh, 
tomorrow after uh, we um, have this powerful event in San Francisco tonight, um, uh, a delegation of us are returning to Oak Flat, Arizona, um, where members of the Apache Nation are uh, resisting Resolution Copper, a copper mining, a multinational copper mining company that is threatening to um, destroy basically the Mount Sinai of the Apache people, the most sacred land um, where it all began um, uh, so they can get a little bit of copper um, uh, and make a little bit of a profit off of the destruction of, uh, you know, both this sacred land and of the water um, and land source that it comes from. Um, And uh, the former chair of the Apache Nation out in Oak Flat, Wenzel Nosey, has moved himself off of the reservation he's supposed to be confined to back to this land at Oak Flat, and he is committed to staying there even until death, um, if it takes that, to be able to protect um, this land and the water um, and the religious freedom of his people. And so um, we put out a call that that um, faith leaders and, and organizers and folks all across the country are going to uh, come stand with um, uh, the Apache um, at Oak Flat and um, resist the wholesale destruction of people's religious freedoms and religious rights as well as lives and livelihoods. And, and, and for, for Mr. Wenzel Noisy to, to take that stand, to risk even his life, um, to, to stand for, you know, future generations, um, uh, to me is also deeply inspiring. Um, it shouldn't have to come to that, um, but, but to have people that are willing to stand up and, and say, um, you know, life is more sacred, water is more sacred, land is more sacred than profit uh, for corporations, um, and that, and call, you know, this nation to account for both the genocide of indigenous people that didn't just happen hundreds of years ago, but it's still happening today uh, because corporations are treated like people and people are treated like things. And so, um, you know, that's another story that gives me great inspiration um, and resolve to keep on uh, organizing and and fighting and building a a massive moral movement in this country that can can change things for the better for many people. Mm, Wow. Yeah. It just sounds like, you know, this this vision that you and, um, you know, Reverend Dr. Barbara have, is a way to um, to introduce um, the American people to one another um, because um, particularly those that sort of are like the foundation, like the ground of our nation, you know, philosophically, you know, um, the democracy, which is a theory but not necessarily a reality for, um, you know, for a lot of people, um, this particular movement, because it's, it's actually literally moving, is... Um, a way for people to, like you mentioned in your two examples, to um, to connect with one another, which is, you know, which is right. which is how sort of biases okay. and and other kinds of misconceptions are are reduced because you know the um, you know the fears and, and misconceptions are because we don't have conversations, but you know you're just sort okay. of sort of having this one big discourse. You know, um, and inviting right. everyone and people else are coming to, be able together to come and, and have a conversation. Mm-hmm. 
That's right. And finding that we have a lot in common and that um, we can we can organize together and we can make life better for ourselves and our communities and for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and also sort of realizing you know where the true power lies. You know that that that's is right. with it literally is you know with the people you know that's like it's theory until you actually are with the people and say oh my goodness like we are great. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mhm. Oh wow. Well, thank you so much for um you know for coming on the show and and you know sharing with us um you know sort of um you know what's been going on and and what the uh. Uh, the goals and the values are, and you know, and the whole idea of you know having a moral, a moral conversation. Like, what is what is morality? You know, um, which is which is an even greater question. Like, what does it mean to be an ethical human being? What does it mean to be, to have faith? Right. Um, and, That's right. And yeah, and and it's, you know, and and how Dr. King, you know, he talked about, you know, how love, you know, was the ultimate, you know, super you know, superpower <laughs> and and best best weapon and um yeah, and it just gets bigger, you know, the more you share it. So yeah, it's really, really great and I'm so excited, um, you know, to to um to be in you know, in 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 the room <laughs> with all of my, you know, brothers and sisters, you know, um and walking, you know, in San Francisco and it might be raining, who knows? Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, this this evening it's gonna be really really great and I can hard I can hardly wait for June twentieth ah it's gonna be so wonderful um, next year yeah we're really excited we're really excited mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's I my it's my you. birthday as well oh it's like, oh, June twentieth <laughs> well you'll have to come for a really big birthday party on the National I Mall know, and Capitol in DC right yes. <laughs> All righty, Will. You take good care well, and look forward to so meeting much. you this you evening. Too. All right. You take good care. All right. <laughs> Peace. Yep. Bye bye. Yes, please. Good morning. Is this Gabriel Christian? It it is Gabriel Christian. I'm sorry oh, to call him late. Worked. How are you? Oh, I'm Good so morning. excited. It worked out. Awesome, awesome. Cause I'm it like, out I'm, I'm sending you an email at 2 a.m., 4 a.m., something like that. He is so sleeping. Like, no wonder you're up late. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy that we got connected and happy Sheree texted me. Yes. How are you today? How are you today? Oh, I am so excellent because, oh, my gosh, I, I – um, uh, I, I did like a little commercial break, and I said, "Oh, you all just can't like sleep on this. You have to go to uh, performing diaspora. You cannot miss this weekend. Oh my God! I really you, you want to go yes, Thursday really so you can like go back. <laughs> and I and yes, I named exactly. all your special guests. <laughs> yes. yes. I wonder. Yeah, and oh my goodness, for real, it's both of you. And I and I'm yes. just yes, yes. your name. Oh, <laughs> it's really cool. I'm so glad you came to the show. Oh, me too. Me too. And I'm like, okay, I gotta figure out how to get back there, cause um, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, cause yeah, it's not like you know, like it's 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 like really rare, you know, to be, you know, the um the person, you know, like to be, you know, like have have a work where I am the audience, you know, that I'm with people that are mm-hmm. audience. Like, we are special. We are royalty. And I'm, like, like even sitting, like, in the pew, you know, with the red velvet and <laughs> and red carpet. Yeah, everything's I mean, it was VIP. Just, right. So VIP wonderful. Right, right. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, African people are not VIP a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's time to change that narrative. Exactly. It's time for us to change that, you know, with everything that we make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of one of our mm-hmm. focuses, just to start, to start making uh, that dialogue clearly different, mm-hmm. you know? From the very beginning. From the jump. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, wow, this work is is just so wonderful. And then, um, you know, mouthful you know, um, in the same program as Sheverse, right? You know, this goddess. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, that's spitting yes. all this, like, you know, you know, via, you know, visual movement and as well as, and both of you all, um, both you and you, Cherie Hill's um, piece, and, and yours, the two of you, you also, you know, employ, um, you know, visual art and spoken mm-hmm. word, and then you invite in other artists, and and then the whole ceremony, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, for African diaspora identified people. Like people don't even know. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, do you do you claim this, and if you do, this is where right. you're going, and we don't know where we're right. going. Mm-hmm. And, right. and the people that right. didn't get right. there, they were late, or or maybe um, didn't want to claim their an- their African ancestry, and so they mm-hmm. just like so missed out. And they're sitting in a whole other section in the theater, right. you know, with, right. with the perpetrators and the, yeah. you know, and the, yeah. and the descendants of the perpetrators. <laughs> right. Like, you don't want to be back there, but they're back there. Because I'm looking back, it's like, whoa, there's some people of African sit back there. How did they get back there? Right. Yeah, some people definitely uh, miss out. And I know I just, yeah. every show has been different when people will come different. late or people yeah. will try to find their way into the pews later, but it's right. always it always feels um odd when they don't have a chance to get that first right. that first sort of moment to settle in together that as a first group. Invitation. Yeah, first yeah. invitation. Yeah. And some of it too. Which mm-hmm. night did you come again, Wanda? Did you come on the sixth? You came um, on the sixth. I came right? on Friday. Friday? Is that the sixth? Yes, that was the I sixth came last Friday. Friday. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some of that was also like like we also had deaf audience that night and we had a, a hard time trying to figure out where to place them so that they could also see the show, including some black mm-hmm. deaf um, audience members. And so that's like another element of it too. I think one of those people came late, mm-hmm. um, but we also wanted to think about ways, at least in future shows of trying to have them be more involved on stage mm-hmm. because we don't want anybody, even if you know they have another reason that they're sitting separately because they need a sign language interpreter. We want them to feel mm-hmm. like they're included in that VIP experience. Just yeah, like we have some had. feedback about yeah, that. Yeah, so for some people it was, I think a choice to sit with in the white audience, and then for others, it was just like unfortunately because of the logistics of the space, that's where they were placed. But that was one mm-hmm. of the feedback we got, and that we really want to try and think about for next time we do it how to have everybody included, every single black person of any background. Yeah, which uh, actually makes you think of two things. One of them is that um, tomorrow, Thursday, the 12th, mm-hmm. we have our second mm-hmm. accessibility night, which is for folks who are blind and visually impaired. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that will be exciting for us to have um, Europa Grace, who was the was the performer in your show on Friday. Wanda will be doing um, mm-hmm. audio description for folks who need it tomorrow. So that's yeah. something just to say. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, we definitely want the word out. Yes, and that's something that, that Just Curtis Gravity provides to lots of performances around the Bay Area. Um, I also work as an audio describer as the Chibwezi, mm-hmm. and we kind of do, I'm doing the mm-hmm. ballet, for example, next weekend. So there's sort of like a oh, constant push. Oh, you, you to mean like the Oakland Ballet? The I'm sorry, the Sacramento Ballet. I wish it was the Oakland Ballet. Looks amazing. I'm so sad I can't see that, but it's yeah. it's not that show, unfortunately. It's the it's oh. one in Sacramento, yeah. not Cracker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but we really not Cracker to there. Make sure that our yes. Yeah, we really wanted to make sure our shows were accessible for deaf and for blind audiences because it's something I've learned a lot mm-hmm. working with Jess that you know accessibility is important and we want everybody mm-hmm. to come see our shows, not just people who are able-bodied. So yeah. we really pushed mm-hmm. to include in our shows the deaf. Um, 
ASL um, night, an ASL interpreter for deaf audiences, rather, and then also audio description, mm-hmm. as Kate mm-hmm. just said. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, because I, I didn't know if I was going to have you all on, so I, I made sure I read all of that. <laughs> That, you know, okay, already good. already this morning, so people would Thank know. You. you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to like sort of back up a little bit and let our audience know a little bit more about you because we just sort of jumped right in, and and then other people like trying to catch up. We did because um, <laughs> old friends. <laughs>
It's your boy Zay. I gotta figure out how to how to do a transliteration of that because yeah, like, I mean, if, you, if you see how it's spelled, it kind of it looks how it's spelled. It's literally if you do it phonetically, it's Chibuweze. Uh, so that's how. It kind oh of yeah, it is, it. isn't it? Thank yeah. you. Chibuweze. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I got it. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you got it. You said it perfectly. Yes. Yeah, that's easy. I totally have it. Yeah. It um, because last last week I was calling you Miss Crowd. It's like. Okay. <laughs> well, I, this I appreciate it. I feel very grown up when you said that, so it was nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, Shibueze uh, is a mm-hmm. queer Nigerian American Igbo actor and artist from Danbury, Connecticut, uh, Pagasset land. Currently living mm-hmm. in Oakland, California. Um, Sort of bacon and rinsing uh, with with Gabriel Christian. <laughs> yes, yes, literally, actually. <laughs> and, yeah, and Oakland, California, is the uh, Chochino. Let's see, Chochino Ohlone Land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and her creative practice straddles theater and performance art, examining diasporic long, longing and constructions of identity through. Masquerade song, text, and multidisciplinary live performance. Uh, Shibueze has performed at Bravo Theater, Finish Hall, Finish Hall, sorry, San Francisco State University, the National Queer Arts Festival. What, what did you have in the National Queer Arts Festival? We had a piece that we did together, actually, Gabriel and I, called Mouthful of Sea. Um, and it was basically okay. about our respective lineages as it relates to the transatlantic slave trade. Gabriel, yeah, almost like a prelude to this. In a way, yeah. It's kind of definitely part of the series. Yeah, Gabriel was examining it as an African-American descendant of slaves, and I was examining it as an African uh, who was born in America but who doesn't have that lineage. So kind of examining both mm-hmm. sides of that, like the betrayal, the precursor to slavery, and what happened after, as told through our mm-hmm. personal background. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're doing some gardening here and I'm trying to like oh yeah I don't know can you hear it or no yes I can not hear it much, not too yes. badly oh it's like it's a heck of noise it's right outside my window like ah <laughs> um, <laughs> um yeah you've also um uh, had work at um BAM PFA and Crowded Fire Theater mm-hmm. among others your work is mm-hmm. a slow trickle of blood sliding down your forearm the sweetest juice of an overripe fruit you almost didn't notice until it stained your good shirt, and then you can never forget where it came from. You probably can't wash it out either. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> That's yeah. Not yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm going to mute myself while you all tell us more about about Mouthful, sort of where, where the title comes from, and and since you all have worked together before and you're kind of, you know, exploring this this diasporic, um, I guess, um, maybe ancestral as well as present um, in the overlap mm-hmm. there, if we're talking about the Ma'afa, mm-hmm. um, sort of, you know, um, you know, this particular, you know, sort of how you came to this particular work, and is it mm-hmm. a part of a, a series of longer works, and if so, like, what what's next? Well, that's a great, a great segue, Wanda, <laughs> yes. you just set us up so nicely. Yes. <clears throat> um, I'll say first that Waze and I met 10 years ago in college, and we were doing a lot of theater together. And I think um, one of the things that I think we both come to terms with is that theater, in a typical sense of, of being scripted and having 
a classic older white man to, you know, produce um, the language for people to perform mm -hmm. is no longer really relevant, at least for me, I'll say, mm -hmm. um, to how I want to be expressing myself in the world and through performance. So we, we've, we've kind of bonded over needing to make new work, new work that I think speaks to our experiences as particularly millennial generation of black folks who have very um, hybrid experiences being queer and being mixed and being this and that. And so <clears throat> Mouthful of Sea was our first attempt, that was last year, 2018 National Queer Arts Festival, to um, deal with the differences in our, so you are, we're good friends, but we still have a very clear difference in how we've been raised that comes from our um, various experiences with sort of what kind of family, what kind of black families we have in this country in this day, right? Mm -hmm. So that was the first piece we kind of got to do some research with that, read In the Wake by Christina Sharp, which is a very powerful text a seminal text for our understanding of what it is to be in this metaphor of the slave ship to this day. Mm -hmm. um, that piece, I think, set up um, a nice dialoguing between me and Trebezi about differences in our family and our in growing up. So this next piece, this piece we're doing now, Mouthful is sort of the next step. Like after we go from the history of our peoples, the next thing to think about is that how we were raised. And we were both raised Christian. And so I was raised, you know, in an African Methodist Episcopal sensibility. And, and Tabwezi was raised Catholic with a Nigerian Igbo mother. Mm -hmm. And so our piece now is dealing with that differential and how there's actually some reverberations. Like there's actually things that we forget are totally relevant to both of these um, spaces. There's things in church that are totally maintained. There's things that we hide in religion that are actually from a, a long ago ancestor of of being in call and response, being in faith modes, being in um, in loud celebration, being in dance and and in song and praise mm -hmm. and praise break. Mm -hmm. So that's this piece is sort of like dealing with that, dealing with the um, ways that the church is a little messed up, honestly, and has messed us up a little bit as a people, but also has maintained us uh, as a safe space for us to be able to express ourselves and be in, in um, communion with each other. Yeah. yeah, and I think another thing, another connection between this piece and Mouthful of Sea is that, you know, we, we did Mouthful of Sea, we, you know, we're grappling with the legacies of slavery, and we're like, okay, after slavery, after all that immense trauma, that still ongoing trauma that we're living in, what were the things that kept us alive? What were the things that helped yeah. us want to move forward? What about joy? Yeah, that yeah. helped us bring joy to each other, that helped us survive as a people in a communal way. And one of those things was the vehicle of faith. And I say vehicle because, as Gabe already said, faith has definitely, especially Christianity, has been a really oppressive colonial influence for a lot of people, and especially for Black people. But as black people often do, we adapted it to fit our needs. Yeah. We molded it in the ways that we needed in order to survive and in order to help each other and also as a space of catharsis for each other. I think there are very few spaces where black people can kind of openly express emotion and grieve and be with each other in public. And church has been historically one of those spaces. Mm -hmm. And as we, you know, in our generation become a people who don't really go to church, I think it's really important to think about what are those new spaces that we have? How can we create new spaces so that mm -hmm. we still have that emotional release and communal experience mm -hmm. that's maybe removed from faith or that maybe borrows from faith but doesn't necessarily embrace it totally because yeah, replicate the same impression exactly yeah. we don't want to do that but we really wanted to kind of explore what that means for black people both african black people who maybe have a more immediate connection to the continent and black people who have maybe more distant connection but that culture was still maintained as gabe was saying through faith spaces through how we practice our culture mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to spirituality and just to name one thing on that point is that you know her, this whole thing of hurt people hurt people i think the mm -hmm. thing about black church that is so interesting is that we both Tracy and i both identify as queer people mm -hmm. and we both haven't necessarily felt safe in a, in a black church space even though we love it right there's sort of this like this ache for the thing that actually was totally holding us as yeah. children in a way that was giving us hope for the future. Mm -hmm. So I think this shows also like how can we as black queer people still have faith, still have hope. Yeah. Um, so that's this piece. I think we're doing this piece. We are doing this piece again 
International Queer Art Festival for a longer run in June, date to be determined soon. Mm-hmm. And we'll definitely be talking to you about that soon, Wanda, if, um, if we can. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then sort of the, we've been talking about this as a joke, but I think it's actually sort of in our heads as a real thing. But the third, this is sort of a trilogy. The third thing yeah. we're thinking of making is called Mouth. Yeah. So it goes Mouthful of Seed and Mouthful. Now we're at Mouth, which is the last mouth thing. Mouth with an F. Mouth with an F. Mm-hmm. Thinking about a black vernacular in that way and also thinking about our queerness being the thing that we focus on sure in terms of like, um, especially in terms of the 80s and 90s were right before our time the AIDS crisis sort of vanquished our community mm-hmm. and so thinking how we can make a piece this is still very much at the beginning of, of a thought but how can that be a piece that we honor these, these lost ancestors in that way mm-hmm. just like we've honored ancestors in, in the slave in terms of like slave trade yeah. and in faith spaces what is the, our last legacy is really the queerness legacy that mm-hmm. has like lo- given us sort of a, a lot of folks who have passed away like Marlon Riggs and yeah. Isaac Temple all these beautiful yeah. black voices who are also queer mm-hmm. who would have been alive today maybe being our mentors mm-hmm. Elders, elders. Yeah. so that's the, that's the next piece but yeah. um you'll have to stay tuned for that yeah definitely and i think yeah. for me at least i also definitely want to explore um you know there's a lot of very strong homophobia in a lot of um, African communities, unfortunately, as a legacy of colonialism. So for me, that's something that I definitely want to explore in the piece, too. We've been joking about it. It's good. Yeah, but, but now we're, like, making it We're definitely going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely going to do it. Okay, that's, that's really the, that's the run of things. There's a lot of information. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, that's that's excellent. Yeah, I was thinking um, I want to, um, you know, what you were making, you know, um, definitely Marlon Riggs and S.S. Hempo, uh, and I wanted to, wanted to call the name of Audrey Lord. Um, yeah, as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Joseph Bean. Yeah, yeah. Octavia Butler out here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All the people. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Pat Parker, mm-hmm. who I learned yeah. about recently. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, Pat yeah. Parker for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bayard yeah. Rustry. By, Byron Russell. Yes. Yeah. 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 It was still black queer. But definitely still black queer. And this is also, I mean, Rashad. Oh, yeah, James Baldwin, for that matter. Of course. All of them. Of course. I was going to say that Rashad Persian. And I think I think Lorraine Hansberry too, right? Yes, Lorraine Hansberry. Yes, totally. And then we can go back all the way. <laughs> we can keep going. <laughs> Name all the black people. Yeah. Lakeland Hughes. Lakeland Hughes. Yes. You know, County Cullen, maybe. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's a whole piece. That piece can go on. That's, that's a whole big research project we have to yeah. do. But I think that's our next desire. Yeah. Now that we're in this place mm-hmm. of like letting go of some of the other things we've. I think performance is also a place to let go or to excavate. Yeah. I feel really released by this performance yeah. in terms of faith. I feel like all my, mm-hmm. a lot of my my um my hurt around it is kind of being um exercised mm-hmm. through this performance. So mm-hmm. I I feel like now that we're doing it, I can hopefully move on to. What else is, you know, in, alive in my body? And yeah. I think that's true for everybody. Yeah, we go to some really intense spaces um, on purpose. You know, I think we really, mm-hmm. a lot of church is really sharing that vulnerability with other people. Yeah. And so by sharing it, we're able to release it. And I know for me, it's definitely been really helpful to kind of be really honest about things that I've never really told to an audience before. Yeah, it's um, medicine. Yeah, sure. performing medicine, as Rodessa Jones would say. Medicine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, wow, wow. Yeah, um, and so... You know, going back, um, you know, to, um, you know, this particular um, uh, part of of the, uh, maybe the trilogy, you know, the trilogy, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is kind of interesting that there will be a trilogy, right? Yeah, you know, these these threes, but then three is also, you know, H.U. Legba, too, you know, so, no. <laughs> you know, yep. the trick is there. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, but I was thinking about, you know, sort of, you know, you mentioned, um uh safety and uh and yesterday um the uh county of alameda um behavior health department put on its first um 
uh, African um, African diaspora um, uh, forum, and and the guest speaker, one of the the, guest, the person who gave the keynote was um, uh, Dr. Um, Hardy, and he has a has a uh, um, he's really well known for his his work around trauma and looking at you know mm-hmm. sort of the historic trauma that's in our community. Um, you know, because, you know, of our ancestors, you know, history within the slave system and um and and how, you know, it's something that's hidden and not spoken about, particularly the way it shows mm-hmm. up, you know. Um because, right. you know, sort of the elements that made it possible for this to happen legally still exist. Um and right. and so um so one of the workshops I went to um was looking at um he uh, it was called um from the slave ship to the white house and um mm. and, and and one of the things that i took away from that was sort of how you know as african people one thing that's really consistent about us and and you you come you talk about this too um you know the church might not be your thing but faith does. faith is something that mm-hmm. african people that's a constant the whole thing around mm-hmm. like we are people of faith <laughs> right. And and I think right. like people of faith, like people of hope, people know that this is not all there is. Because if the, we, this was all there is, we probably would just split our throats, right? Our ancestors. Like, right. so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, um, uh, so that you mentioned, um, uh, let's see, uh, let's see if I could do it without reading it. Chipwayze. Uh, Yes, no. you said it right. <laughs> oh, for real? Really? Oh yes, my God! You did. <laughs> okay, I have to remember how, how I did that. <laughs> about about not feeling safe, and then and then Gabriel. I mean, you're like you come out of this this um this window, um, maybe stained glass, but you're like really high up mm-hmm. um, in the <laughs> in the set, mm-hmm. and and you're and you're you're talking to us, and then. You 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 leave there and come down to the to the floor where we are, um, and and so um, I don't know if you could talk a little bit about were there any moments where where you were um, sort of being vulnerable in in the work, and and then and then I want us to talk to our audience about just sort of the way the work flows and and the different movements and how how you all pulled that how pulled it all together, and and then the praise mm-hmm. break like. Which which is really phenomenal um, aspect of of the work as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, for me, I definitely. It's funny that we're talking about this making the show about faith because I lost my faith like really early on in my life. I was a really devout Catholic who had um, a very strong experience of realizing my disconnection from God when I was um, at this youth rally, which I talked about in the show. And I think for me, I think the biggest struggle that I've had for faith is the fact that, you know, a lot of what I was taught, which was often very colonial Western understandings of, you know, religion, salvation, those kind of things, it just didn't square with my reality. It didn't make sense with the way I experienced life, with the things that I saw, with, you know, the things that were happening to me and the people I loved. Um, And I, I think that that just led me to believe that this was not the right faith space for me. And it led me on a journey that, you know, I don't go into in the show where I kind of created my own spiritual space that worked for me but the thing that I always missed about church was that community and that you know shared space that place where you can really kind of connect with people and with strangers even in a way that we don't normally do in our everyday life and so kind of grappling with that 
that struggle of like loving some aspects of church in terms of the ritual, in terms of the community, but also knowing that it was not a place where I could fully be myself, where I could fully, you know, be in my power, where I could fully feel valued as a human being just by the design of the religion, you know? Um, and so that's kind of what I explore in the opening monologue that I have in the show. There's also a conversation around mental health that, you know, as we all know, in a lot of Christian spaces across the board, mental health is not really a conversation that's spoken about in a healthy way. You're often taught to just give it up to God or to just pray and you'll get better. And I kind of talk about how that didn't work for me. Um, and so I think it just really opens up an, an important space for people in our, our age, especially, who have realized that, you know, faith was maybe helpful for our parents in certain ways, but for us, it has to function in a different way because we're not having certain conversations in those spaces that need to be said. Like, oh. it's a very traumatic thing to grow up in this country and, you know, it, re <laughs> it really affects your mental health. Um, and there's also personal experiences that are outside of oppressive frameworks as well that will affect your mental health. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of what I was going into in terms of that vulnerability in my monologue. And I really hope that people resonate with it in ways both connected to faith and outside of that um, because it's something that we all deal with, especially black people. Yeah. Um, and Gabe, do you want to talk about? Can you repeat your question for me, Wanda? I feel like I didn't quite get oh, to Oh, um, well, I was um, sort of, um, I was, I've been taking some notes. I was just thinking um, when uh, uh, Boise, um spoke mm -hmm. about um, not, not feeling safe um, and, mm -hmm. and sort of opening herself that sharing with the audience that particular feeling of of not not feeling safe, and I was wondering, um, you know, from the various like physical aspects of of the work, mouthful, um, you know, like the height to to ground, oh, yeah. differential, yeah, and <laughs> and as yeah, well as you know yeah. the the internal mm -hmm. externalized monologue, you know, where you're sharing mm -hmm. your story with you know these strangers, um, yeah. and you know, once once it's out there, it's out there. Um, and and so I was wondering where were there any elements of of the work where, you know, you were you were allowing yourself to be vulnerable. I mean, I don't. I think mm -hmm. all performers is probably you're probably vulnerable in all performance, right? Because mm -hmm. you're yeah. on stage and we're watching you. <laughs> um, unless uh -huh. unless it's more participatory, but there's still a spectac spectator aspect to it, and people are like sort of using mm -hmm. you uh, as your your body, <laughs> you know, to mm -hmm. experience things so that their body can stay safe in the seat. Or wherever right. it happens, to be. right? <laughs> but it's still a space of yeah. safety because the light is on you, not us. Right. So anyway, and that's, I mean, yeah. that's the thing is I, I think we are low key having people of color on stage. Also, I think was a vulnerable thing to have our people so close. Yeah. I think it's like a, because mm -hmm. we we needed we needed y'all to be with us yeah. and telling the story. Mm -hmm. I mean, the question about my vulnerability in the show is I I think yeah I think I'm also like new to dancing, so whenever I think about dancing at all it already is a vulnerable place for me as an artist I started off as an actor and a theater practitioner and um, dance has sort of come late in my life because of uh, meeting folks uh, in 2017 who changed my life and got me involved in this um, new art form but so for whenever I dance I feel like I'm already um, a little bit uh, afraid of the perception of, of what my dance technique might look like I feel like I'm not so for me it's like actually this fear of perception or fear of a of imposter syndrome that comes up whenever I do that. And so even inside of this narrative of church, you know, there's also this imposter syndrome that comes up about being a good enough Christian. I think it totally is aligned with a good enough dancer for me. So those are two similar places. And so in this piece, my decision was really not to speak so much. I wanted to, to try to lean into dancing more and see if I could tell a story, if anything, through dancing. That part which Wacey's talking in the beginning, I'm trying my best mm -hmm. to tell 
both her story but also kind of my story through movement. So it's kind of um, a silent testimony or a testimony that's embodied versus a testimony that's, that's verbalized. But you are, and, mm-hmm. and, of course, later on I do have a little bit of a testimony that's a poetic interpretation, a little bit less clear than Swayze's mm-hmm. intentionally, I think, because I think uh, I'm still working out how language versus body embodiment work for me and how I tell my story. But that was our, my attempt to be in a similar place that Chiboise was in in I mean, the beginning. You had such a great line in the show about only grieving in public for if you're on stage and with a paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that kind of says it all about <laughs> it how you deal with vulnerability in performance. It's, yeah. it's like a, it's a very compelling and kind of necessary part of performance, but it's also tied up in so many complicated yeah. things. Yeah. What is a good actor? What is a good dancer? Someone right. who can cry on cue, right? What does it mean to be paid for that? Right. Like, to be rewarded for that right. vulnerability like, in a capitalist framework. So I think I've also, been tra- I've also been trained out of vulnerability in a way, trained out of real vulnerability because mm-hmm. of my, 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 my um, profession. Yeah, so I think I'm, I'm naming that. I'm still working through that personally, but that's the thing I'm, I'm naming in this show. And I think actually this to jump to the next question you had about praise breaks. Mm. Um, I feel like everyone we asked are folks that we admire in the black um, artistic community mm-hmm. who have been vulnerable in certain ways, who have expressed um, well, I mean, who I felt to be respect as artists to yes, be able to tell their own, yeah, and they all have relationships to faith in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that you saw, Wanda, was probably the quietest one we had, yeah. where Europa mm-hmm. and Europa Grace and, Bron- and Bronte Velez um, had you know had a meal together and, and read poetry to each other. It was very beautiful. Yeah. Everything else we have is pretty loud, actually, in terms <laughs> of praise break. So yeah. you kind of caught the most meditative <laughs> version of that, yeah. and I and I kind of love that. Um, that for me felt like the most vulnerable thing because they were yeah. just eating. They were just eating just on stage. Resting. And we won't have that again, but I, sharing just sharing food. Mm-hmm. I think the, the vulnerability mm-hmm. in the piece might be actually implicitly that we have a different um, – we, ha- we have a spontaneous moment that we actually don't every have any night. control over every yeah. night. Mm-hmm. We might, we might, we've given them, like, a few rehearsals, but it's mm-hmm. actually, like, you two decide what you want to do, and we're just here to support you. That's sort of yeah. itself a vulnerable thing to do in performance. We're not, like – we're not um, – we're not um, – trying to really shape it to the point where like it's not what you want to do so right. it's like really become like a a way to let go of control inside mm-hmm. of this process too yeah it's a way to reflect the spontaneity like of a praise break like when you're in church it's kind of just the spirit catches somebody yes. and you're there yes. and we really we definitely had rehearsals with everybody we definitely had conversations with everyone but we really wanted to lean into that spontaneous ecstatic um, yeah. moment of physical testimony or sung testimony whatever it may be and I think that night it worked so well with some of the testimony that you said that night mm-hmm. you know the best church is a home cooked meal the mm-hmm. best church is like being on a downy bed bed yes. with a kiss like yes. just sharing that intimacy with other people sharing a meal you know literally holding space for each other that in a lot of ways is kind of the core of what black church and church in general can be mm. for us and I feel like they embodied that so well yeah and the meditative pace I think really worked yeah 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 well if you come back this week Wanda you know we'll have different ones some, some other thing <laughs> that's the thing we also we made it different every night because we wanted to have space to have you know multiple incredible artists on the stage we wanted to give this uh have this be a platform not just for us but for so many amazing artists yes. that we know who are working and who are making incredible art in the bay yeah we have a total of 11 guest artists and six designers it's a really mm. it's a really big team for a 45-minute piece, yeah. or 30-minute piece, really. But, but you know, yeah. church is about uplift. We're uplifting. We lift as we climb, right? right. So we want everybody to be there with us <laughs> and be possible. part of the space. Um, and so this week, we have, help me remember all Tomorrow, we have um, Spelling, a.k.a. Christia Cabral and Tyler Holmes, both musicians in the Bay Area. We've gotten some big love in the past few years for their albums. Yeah. 
um, on the 13th, the 13th. is uh, Jose Abad, who's an incredible dancer, and Wizard Apprentice, who's another amazing experimental musician, electronic musician. And then and on Saturday, the 14th, we have Stephanie Hewitt, um, who's an incredible dancer also, and I did a residency at Counterpost about uh, a few months ago in April. And Indira Allegra, who's just my mentor, a visual artist, who won the Burke Prize recently, yes. um, is a really incredible um, a practitioner of, of um, sculpture, performance art, and is a weaver, master weaver, who will be doing a sort of a, um, a part of this performance on Saturday. So yeah. very exciting folks coming up in our lineup. Yeah. We want everyone to see them. <laughs> Every night. Right. Yeah, yeah. And um, Counterpulse is at um, 80 Turk Street, right um, near the um, Powell Street um, Bar That's Station. Right. You can walk from the Powell right. Street Bar. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The show starts at 7:45 every day because we have Sharp. a little pre-show. Sharp. Yes. Mm-hmm. Have to be there at 7:45. Mm-hmm. And our audio description night is on the 12th. It also starts at 7:45, and there'll be a haptic access tour at 7, described by Europa mm-hmm. Grace of Gravity Access Services for our blind and visually impaired community. Mhm. Right. Yeah. And and how did were you all there um, Sunday for um, uh, Gravity's? Um, uh, it was like a fundraiser I party yeah. kind of thing. We were. I was we were. there, yes. Yeah. Gabriel performs. I was working the event, yes. Cool, cool. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to get there. It it didn't happen, but it looked really wonderful. Aww. It was sweet. It was very sweet. <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool. And I was wondering, um, is there anything else you want to share with our audience? Um, do you want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the collaborators, um, like your your set design? And then I was wondering, can you tell, is it a surprise what happens with um, the African diaspora folks? Um, or can you talk a little bit about the performance in that particular space and the rituals? Yeah. We'll, we'll leave it a little bit of a mystery. Just know that if, for anybody, we want you to be be there on time, but especially for Black folks, we really want you to be there on time at 7:45 because there is a pre-show that is for you, and we want Period. you to come see that. That's yeah. that's all we'll say about that. I don't want to reveal too much. Yes, um, we could also okay. talk about in terms of the designers involved in the work. It's a good call. I think there's um there's six of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I can name them all. Wesley Travis is a sound designer from New Orleans. Uh, got a friend from college mm-hmm. also. Also an excellent visual artist um, who that is also dances in the East Coast. Um, Alex Burrow did our video, um, an incredible video designer, production designer, who works a lot with Amara Tor Smith mm-hmm. and Ellen Sebastian Chang, oh. along with their own work. Mm-hmm. They have a project called Lexagon. Mm-hmm. Um, our set designer, Celeste Martori. Incredible, incredible, incredible designer. architect. TBA designer. nominated for um, uh, for the Kill recent piece, Kill Paradise, Paradise mm-hmm. at Shotgun Players this year. Did our set, yeah, did our mm-hmm. set design by um, designing a lot of the, wor- the world of our, our church. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Stephanie Johnson, Stephanie Johnson. Who's a veteran lighting designer, OG. elder, love mm-hmm. her so much. She's so incredible to work with. Yes, um, yeah, also, that's Amadia. Yes, and also um, Amadia Dajali, who's an incredible costume designer, healer. And our roommate. Yes, and our roommate. Yeah. <laughs> and they do amazing work um, in that realm. And who else? Oh, Summer Mason. Summer Mason, of Some, course. They go by Summer mm. fucking Mason, actually, in their <laughs> bio. And they um, they did our <laughs> opening video pre-show for the folks who are not of color, mm-hmm. um, which is a, of us in church and featuring mm-hmm. some found footage of Masquerade. Um, they're an incredible editor, filmmaker. Yeah. They're working out right now. We're actually working right now with Boots Riley, so they're just out here doing oh. really big things. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then I mean, just to say because they're also awesome. Our tech person was Ashley. Oh my God, what's Ashley's last name? Monday, I think. Yes, Ashley Monday, who's awesome. I just want to name her because she was really great in our process. Yes. And then uh, is there anyone else we're missing? I think. 
that's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And then and oh, then your altar. Oh, uh, yeah, Rebecca. Sorry, Rebecca. Yeah. Oh, yes, Rebecca Jones is featured in the show. Her voice is in the show. And then we also had two incredible mm-hmm. dance consultants, Rashad Pridgen, who was featured in the show, and Uzo Nwankapa. They're and then, incredible dancers. Yes, I mentioned your alt- the altar is made by Stephanie Dubois, mm-hmm. and Mutima Mani both contributed to that altar space in the front space. Yes. Um, Stephanie Dubois is based in Sacramento and is a new friend of ours. She brought all this beautiful collage work to our, our lobby. Yeah. yeah, it was all, again, mm-hmm. she told us it was all basically downloaded to her through spirit. Through the spirit, creator. Spirit told her to mm-hmm. make that entire collage series that you saw which is it was so perfect for the show that we asked her to put it up it it certainly is perfect yeah wow awesome yeah. awesome um so could you all give the website for counterpulse and um and and thursday is pay what you can so that's pretty awesome uh yeah and then if you all have um personal um websites you can give those as well yes okay so it is um the website, we're pulling it up right now. It is counterpulse.org slash event slash performing diaspora 2019. So if you look that up, you'll find it. Um, and then our website, unfortunately, I don't have a website yet, which I need to work on, but I do have an Instagram where I share my work and it's at carefree black auntie, uh, auntie with an IE at the end. And Gabriel is at Millennial Uncle, which we really didn't plan, but it worked really well. Got Auntie and Uncle. How cute. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, yeah. Are you all linked in any way? You should be linked because you're family, right? <laughs> we feel like family. family. We are family. I always joke that Gabriel's like my fifth sibling, so <laughs> it yeah, feels very Yeah, true. well, you're both in Oakland, too, you know, being baked exactly, and rained on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, it's a to talk to you. Always, Wanda. Thank you so much, Wanda. We really appreciate oh, it. Oh, it's so awesome. Yeah, and definitely want to continue our conversation. And I'm just trying to figure out how to get back because I certainly want to see this experience this one more time because, like I said, it doesn't happen often. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For, for, for black folk to be like invited and welcomed like we are, you know, in Mouthful. Mm-hmm. And and I'm sure like in the in the one that I didn't see, uh, Mouthful of Seeds and the one to come that's unnamed right now, that's an intention. Um, yeah, I just love that you create work that's so welcoming to us. It's thank just you. so beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. That means yeah, so much you. to thank hear. You. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and of course, um I think, you know, with um, you know, Shree Hill, just the way that Counterpulse, you know, curated, you know, this performing diaspora you know, 2019, and what anniversary is this? Is like a big anniversary for Counterpulses, this series. Um, it's the 10th year. They've been yeah, doing. It's a big year for them. Yeah, 10th, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, and it's it's us. I mean, but then, you know, I've been to some of the other performing diaspora, but yours just, just has like a really nice feeling. And maybe it's because I just needed something in my spirit, and, and you all just, mm-hmm. you did it, and this is it. You know, I'm just mm-hmm. feeling, I was just feeling so healed. You know, and just mm. like, oh, man, I just feel so embraced, you know, by the work. That means so much. I want you to feel that, that way. That really means outside so much. I'm so, so glad. I do want you to feel that way outside of the space, but I'm glad that even for 45 minutes you're able to feel that in the space. So Same. thank you for sharing that. That's definitely what we want people to feel, one of the things we want people to feel. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, and, and I took it away. I mean, you know, because I was, I was, like, in pain and, 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 and afterwards, you know, it just, I just felt so much better. And, and wow. just thinking about the experience, I continue to feel better. Uh, yeah, I had mm. I hurt my back wow. and I couldn't walk. Oh, Wanda! And and 
Yeah, and then I looked it up, and it's yeah, it's, it's going to be, the doctor said it's like, oh, you know, six weeks, um, and you'll be better. I was oh like, no, God. i got to go, i got to get to this performance. <laughs> it's not going to be oh that. Oh, Wanda, I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm like, yeah. so I know, I'm so and glad you're looked, able to make it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I just lived at the... Uh, at the acupuncture, um, community acupuncture, like, okay, I got to get over to San Francisco. And, um, and so, uh, and so I looked it up and you know how the physical, the physical is a man is, is a spiritual sort of manifestation, right? Like it just sort of, your body is talking to you when, when, when something physical Mm -hmm. happens like that. And so I looked it up and I said, Oh, well, you know, like if your back is hurting, that means that you don't feel supported. You know, nobody has your back literally. And I'm like, Oh, so this is what's going on. Yeah, and I've had you a really hard year yeah. at work, yeah. and I'm like, I'm so and I just felt so supported by this work, Aww. by this art, by your, and then the talk back, I'm like, it was such a good night to go. Oh, yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. Really I'm so you. glad you felt supported yeah. and that you enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and, and then the praise, the praise, um, you know, um, uh, what is the praise praise moment praise what break, do you call the praise break, praise break praise, praise break, break yeah, yeah because because what uh, Europa and and Bronte were doing they were having a meal you know which is really beautiful and then they were watching each other sleep like rest like mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. and you know and that's a part that's a place when you you're really vulnerable but a lot of people can't rest because they don't feel safe mm-hmm. right. to be able to be able to yeah, so it's all just all like so like spirit driven for me. Like, okay, you're supposed to be here <laughs> in, yes, in this in this view, like mm-hmm, yeah. And then upstairs, you know, in the special rituals, like oh look at this, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it was all good. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that you enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you'll see yeah, your face it was again. medicine. Yes, it was totally yeah. medicine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So, so thank you, thank you again. Uh, of course. <laughs> thank you. Oh, you're quite welcome. You all take good care, and um, yeah, okay. um, good too. luck on the next next phase. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Hopefully, we'll see you soon. Yep. Yeah. All, all right. right. Yeah, I'm gonna try to figure take it out. Care. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Have a good rest Bye. of the day. Peace and blessings. You, you too. Cheers. Okay. So, God, that was such a beautiful. Um, Mouthful and Shevers at um, Counterpost. You don't want to miss it. Uh, again, it's uh, Thursday through uh, is it Thursday through Saturday. Uh, yeah, Thursday through Saturday. Um, um, Eighty Turk Street. Don't want to miss it. It is so so wonderful. And uh, let's see. We're gonna close out with. Um, Let's see. I was thinking. I was looking at African tapestry, uh, prayer for a continent, but um, I'm not sure exactly what I'm feeling. But I'm gonna find something really quickly. Um, let's see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so funny. I keep on starting and not finishing uh Ben Vereen. So hopefully, you know, folks have been curious and went to the uh <laughs> to the website and um and and listened to all of that wonderful conversation with uh Ben Vereen. It was really, really awesome. So I'm gonna um I'm gonna play a little bit of uh Gina uh, Brelove. Um 
I really like her cover me, um, but I'm trying to think. Uh, let's see, The Language of Light. That's a nice one. Um, I'm going to play that one, The Language of Light. It's a letting, it's a being, not a getting, it's not 